0: Hello and welcome to Boss Door, the final threshold beyond which games was face their final and toughest opponent. My name's Ross. Joey! And I'm here with my co-hosts. <laughs> Joey! And today we're going to be talking you about paused. Metal Gear 1 and 2. <laughs> I didn't pause. I would never pause. But anyway, today we're going to be doing something a little bit different. I'm going to be incorporating a lot more philosophy into it, uh, which I'm pretty excited about. I know together we have a lot of uh, a lot of things to say about Microsoft One and Two, but if you were drawn in by the title of this, if you were like, "Oh, that sounds interesting," you are our target audience. All right, you have been click baited. I control you now. Your controller is in the wrong port, and you have done what I wanted you to. Do. And then we cut to music. All of this jeans nonsense is nonsense.
1: They call them the lolly low a lot, yep. just because I think it's funny to say. And then I finally get to the world that I was building towards, and it's ugly. Uh, why did I do this? Why it's did I dumb? pick an arch villain that might possess me? Oh, damn these recessive genes. <laughs> yeah. In our podcast, sometimes it's fun to kind of imitate like the tone or themes or you know, general way that the game communicates with you in a similar fashion. Um, and that's kind of happening independently of our own efforts outside of this, because we've been trying to record this podcast for like 30 minutes, yeah, and we literally can't start, which is very Kojima-esque if you've <laughs> ever played a uh, Hideo game. <laughs> so if you're not familiar with Kojima's style, we've already talked about one of his games, Death Stranding, which is... I don't know who that is. Raiden, turn the game console off right now. What did you say? The
2: mission is a failure. Cut the power right now. What's wrong with you? Don't
1: worry. It's a game. It's a game just like usual.
3: You'll ruin your eyes playing so close
2: to the TV.
1: What are you talking about? You've got to be fucking kidding me. We just got interrupted by a real life codex. <laughs> We're just trying to play the game. And then someone is just like, do you want to hear about my backstory? Bunch of Christian people in fucking sweaters. <laughs> but. If you're not familiar with uh, of games, you can check out our Death Stranding podcast or uh, play any of the Metal Gears or Death Stranding. Uh, one thing that is very immediately apparent to the player in any of his games is, one, he certainly worked on it a lot. You will notice in the credits, yeah. in the credits will say his name a lot. It's one of the few, I think, tr- people in gaming where everyone knows his name yeah. because every one of his games is like written by Hideo Kojima. Directed by Hideo Kojima. Made more good smelly by <laughs> Hideo Kojima.
0: Oh, yeah. That, that is a, a constant Kojima thing. If you play Metal Gear Solid 5, it's, it's split up into like missions, and each mission has intro credits. You see Kojima's name like 500 times in that yeah. game. <laughs> it is absurd how much you're, you're just like, like... You just have to joke about it. You're just like, hey, do you know this was made by Hideo Kojima? I was like, yeah. Yeah, I did. Because he says his name a thousand times.
1: And and one thing, we're we're both big uh, Kojima fans, but also as we keep looking at him closer and closer, it's hard not to notice his uh, personality traits, if you will. (laughs) Yes, those are words for it. So one thing you will also notice other than his name is he wants you to hear him speak. You know, it won't be him specifically, but you can tell 100% when a character is just saying
0: what Kojima wants to be saying right now. Yeah, Kojima's a man with a lot of thoughts, which I can appreciate. I started a podcast. I don't think that
1: necessarily uh, those are mutually exclusive.
0: If Kojima, <laughs> ha- I believe, has talked about starting a podcast recently. And like, yeah, if you're- Kojima, if you're listening, do that.
1: With us, be the third member Be
0: the third member of Boss Store This is an open (laughs) invitation to Hideo Kojima Massively successful video game director (laughs) For decades
1: We can finally have someone to help us fight our blood war with
0: Miyazaki (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's gonna come up soon, huh?
3: As long as the strategy of nuclear deterrence continues Nuclear weapons may be reduced, but they will never be eliminated. If you think about it, nuclear reduction does not mean much without elimination as the ultimate goal. I used to work in the DIA. I figured the only way to achieve nuclear elimination was to work from the inside to convince them of the ineffectiveness of the deterrence theory.
1: Seems like you're pretty focused
2: on that issue.
3: Victims of nuclear radiation are a sad thing to see. And I have seen a lot of it. I have seen more than enough of it. I was born and raised in Pripyat, Ukraine. I was 10 years old on that day. April 26, 1986.
0: You don't
2: mean...
3: Yes, Chernobyl.
0: So Kojima games are a lot, to say the least. Uh, But Metal Gear Solid 1, I would say, is one of the most approachable of his games. Where Metal Gear Solid 2 is like maybe one of the least approachable yeah. <laughs> of his games. So that's going to be a fun comparison. But to start off basic, Metal Gear Solid 1 is sort of the progenitor of the uh, action stealth genre. I think they coined the term tactical espionage action, mm-hmm. right, for, for Metal Gear Solid 1. It's also so hard to be like, like games like... Me- Metal, Gear,
1: Metal Gear, you know, <laughs> like there's Siphon Filter and there's <laughs> in uh, Dead Cell and whatever. Yeah,
0: it's games like that. But like, if you're old, those enough, are just also Metal Gear is more known than all those. If games. you're old enough to have played like Thief, you know, yeah, you you probably already know this game. Like, this is, we're not going to tell you anything new, except we are. So keep listening. Metal Gear Solid One is really interesting because this is that era that really benefits creative
1: game designers because we're beginning the 3D era which means we have to see what sort of things transfer from 2D to 3D in what things work, actually work that we have never done before, right? You're currently seeing that right now in VR. You can make a lot of different types of VR games, but we're kind of finding, oh, this genre works better and stuff like that in in the confines of the media. So if we're taking, you know, it is an espionage sneaking game, but really it's kind of more to me in the lines of, like the Zelda E adventure model of games that we had up until this point, right? You're going through areas that are sectioned off by like some sort of keys and then you fight bosses to unlock more sections and get more things as you go forward. It's just like a simple, there's a story wrapped around a series of like dungeons that lead to bosses, right? Yeah, that's fair. That can describe most games, right? Um, or a lot of games, you know, I mean, in a lot of ways you can say, well, you just described Dark Souls as well, you know, but, I think when it's so early in kind of like the formation of games, we have to look at, well, how is that formula going to work in the 3D world? And how can we tell more compelling stories? Because other than like Final Fantasy like games, most 2D game story are like, you know, like, I don't know, like
0: bears and shit. I, you know, like,
1: <laughs> like, 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 well, it's Donkey Kong where, you know,
0: they took his bananas. You're a do- you're a donkey. Nope. You're a Kong?
1: Yes. Yeah. (laughs) So, other than, like, kind of traditional, very number-based RPGs, it's kind of hard to tell, like, a good story in video games up until this point, I would say.
0: Yeah, and I think Kojima really took up that cause in Metal Gear Solid 1. It's not just, like, an interesting game mechanically or that it, you know, created an entire genre of sneaking stealth kind of games, but... Its story is resonant throughout the ages. It's a really profound way of looking at the world that I think cannot get enough credit and praise.
1: Yeah, and I would agree, because there's something that one does that other games weren't really trying to do. They were trying to make a movie. And I don't just mean, like, oh, the cutscenes are really long and, you know, these sorts of things. Is They built the story beats in a movie format. So also to talk about, you know, other games and kind of, you know, the history of evolving narrative... Is, you know, a big problem, again, with a lot of early games that are narrative-focused is their RPGs. And a lot of those RPGs are like, kind of just need the player to, like, fuck around the world and, like, go to dungeons for a while. And you're like, colored
0: orbs. Let's have them collect colored orbs. (laughs) If they collect enough orbs, they can fight the boss fight and win the game.
1: Yeah, and there's just a little bit less storytelling, in my opinion, To, like, if you collect the magical orbs, it weakens weakens the barrier around me and you can defeat the ultimate evil. Yeah. It doesn't really say a lot, right? Now, this game, on the other hand, it's clearly... So, Kojima is obsessed with American movies. And this game is very heavily based on uh, various different American action movies he's obsessed
0: with. Yeah, Most specifically Escape from New York, which Snake's design in this game is based off of. I think it's only in two. They call him Snake Pliskin or something like that. They call him Iroquois Pliskin. Iroquois yeah. Pliskin, and that's taken directly from uh, from Escape from New York. Yeah, that's that's his uh, not moniker,
1: but his, his alias. Yeah, or his alias. Call it, call it when he's pretending not to be Snake, even though every player is like, "But that is Snake." I mean, I know there's clones of him. Yeah, <laughs> but it's <that's> still definitely <laughs> Snake. It's probably not
0: a clone. Uh,
1: he's hanging with Otacon. It's just too dumb to not be that. <laughs> the finish. The thought was. It, the game starts off very much homaging these kind of like macho spy movies, right? But Kojima does his kind of very Kojima esque twist, where at first you think it's a more normal spy, and then it becomes comic booky in nature. Yeah, because you see a cyborg ninja, you know, jumping out of nowhere to cut off uh, a cowboy's arm.
0: Yeah, you get these sort of like fantastical elements. ...placed inside of them, you know?
1: Yeah, and so it takes you into sort of a different sort of world.
0: It takes you you into the Kojima brain, which is a a scary and strange place to be. But also, I think, an inspiring place to be in a lot of ways. Uh, So the basic premise of, like, Metal Gear Solid 1 is that you're infiltrating a base... ...and I forget how they tell you it begins. You're just there because they, uh, like, control a nuke, right? And you're there to stop a nuke? Yeah,
1: so terrorists take over uh, a base in Alaska... And are holding the world hostage with uh, a
0: nuke, a nuclear weapon,
1: and it's a it's a specific type of nuke you learn on later on that's just harder for people. Like it doesn't use propulsion system; it uses a rail gun, so there's oh, no yeah. like propellant on it, so people can't see the nuke and use their lasers to stop it. So it's just
0: not a it's not just any nuke; it's a super stealth nuke. Yeah, so it's that, it's, it's the nuke that if you launch it, it will hit its target. Yeah, which is you know the basis uh, behind the terror of the Cold War, right? Yeah, it, it's mm-hmm. it's always like it doesn't matter how many nukes you launch, it's the one that lands that matters. You yeah, know? and that, that that was the problem of like not to get too into the philosophy behind it, but the, the basic idea is this game is representing the ideas of nuclear proliferation and the and like the Red Scare of American stuff, the 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 terrors of the Cold War as this singular entity, this singular nuke that's like if they launch it, people die. Right? The world the world goes to hell because, you know, somebody launched a nuke. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's a metaphor. Well, it's not even a metaphor, really. It's just, just a scaled-down concept that I think we see done really well throughout this whole game.
1: So I would say there's kind of three themes that they really focus on in the story of the game, right? Um, nukes and nuclear proliferation and the implications thereof. Right. Right. What it means to be a soldier and what it means to take orders and what do we fight for and things like that. Just different different implications of kind of being a soldier who by definition has to take orders kind of the existential crisis that they have inside themselves with those sorts of things
0: right and of course the third being the all important question uh what to do with our jizz. can love bloom on the battlefield oh i was close but <laughs> it's but it's it's actually really just an overall thing about
1: genes right and right. not just like there's a lot of talk about passing down our genes and and what that should be but also how a lot about nature versus nurture what is put inside of us before we even make our first decision, right? And what are the our responses to the stimuli that we're involved with throughout our
0: life? Yes. And then um, subsequently, like, how much how much can we be responsible for our own, our own actions and things like that? And I do think the question that Otacon asked later, Snake, do you think love can bloom on the battlefield? And he says it in a whiny Otacon voice. I think that question is, is central to the themes of the game, and I'm really excited to talk about it. So we'll get to that in a bit. First, let's talk about how the game begins. You're just infiltrating the base. It's a lot of fun, I think, just to infiltrate the base initially, because you have like this radar, and guards can only see in like a little cone of, of vision, so you, you know exactly where guards are, and you play most of this game basically through radar, because visually it doesn't help you to see things. But for a PlayStation 1 game, it's stuff that's like, you leave footprints in the snow, and guards will see that. You can step on loud grates, and guards will hear you.
1: Yeah, or in uh, that first area,
0: a puddle of water. A puddle of water, right. So it, it it's stuff like that where you're immediately more immersed in the game than I think you would ever expect to be on a PlayStation 1 game. Right, if you see guards like normally any other game, you see guards with like a cone of vision. You're like, just avoid the cone of vision, and you'll be fine. I've seen so many games where it's like they don't have any kind of noise detection. It doesn't matter if how fast you run up to guards. But in this game, it, those kinds of things matters. I think it sucks you in immediately. It, it, I think in the first room, it already is distinguishing itself as a new kind of experience. I think the first room is actually really brilliant
1: because you're waiting for an elevator to come down to go with that elevator, and while that's happening. They're doing the opening credits. And you the elevator doesn't come down until those credits are done. And it gives you about just enough time for a new player to fuck around, learn the buttons, kind of see a little bit of guard AI, you know, see the puddle of water, walk in the puddle of water, see that you could knock on a door and see that it the sound draws them, you yep. know? Just kind of interact with the environment enough to have a basic feel for the controls. And then the elevator comes down, and as it goes up, it says the Metal Gear Solid 1, and is, like, instantly transitioning into a cutscene that also puts you in the place of Snake, and really kind of grounds your character into the scenario that they're actually in, but also have given you enough time to understand what you're playing and what you're doing you yeah. know what i mean it's very un- kojima esque in a lot of ways because he lets you touch the controller at the very beginning of the game
0: <laughs> yeah he stops doing that almost immediately
1: yeah yeah see in Metal Gear solid one there's a whole bunch of briefings you can see in the pause menu or in the in the opening start menu before yeah. the game starts So you can spend 40 minutes listening to people explain stuff before you actually touch the game. But,
0: shockingly, (laughs) you don't have to. Yeah, it is optional. And what's interesting beyond all of that is the fact that you are introduced to Solid Snake, and he is talking to, was the Colonel? A Colonel? Yeah, the Colonel. Yeah. Um, So I'm trying not to get one and two mixed up. It's going to be hard, because they're very similar.
1: He's Colonel Roy Campbell.
0: Yes. He's talking to Colonel Roy Campbell. And they're saying stuff, like, he looks through his binoculars and he sees, like, a helicopter. He's like, a ah, D, And you don't know what that means. Obviously, from context, you're like, oh, it's the helicopter, right? But it's stuff like that where the characters will just start talking and start using jargon and trying and just communicating very naturally for them and you standing as an outsider that I think provides an interesting perspective in the game. Because... Kojima is not expecting you to like take on the role of Snake to be Snake. Snake distinguishes himself from the player almost immediately. Snake knows things you don't know and he has a life that you don't know anything about. And though his actions are yours, the responsibility of those actions are his. And you feel that throughout the game as it, as it progresses. And the more they talk, the more, the more things happen. Snake expresses his philosophy on things he expresses what he thinks is going on and it doesn't really have anything to do with the player which is very unlike what you would uh, see in modern days where you know everything's about like moral choice systems and things like that so it's really interesting later when these things start coming up when you know autocon's like oh can love bloom on battlefield it's like snake has an answer to that he has something to say on that and it may not be what you have to say on that and it invites you to think about what's going on on screen. It invites you to think about what Snake is saying and what everybody else is saying and how you feel about that and to reflect on the game in a way that most games don't ask you to do anymore.
1: Yeah. So, like, one of the uh, one of the things that I like about the early Kojimas, which is really just Metal Gear Solid's 1 and 3, to be quite honest, is the pacing between switching between gameplay and having that gameplay kind of inform some of the story as well, and going from conversations and plot and dialogues, uh, feels appropriate, you know, yeah. like you, you, you've done enough and it's now time to talk about something to kind of recontextualize or further contextualize what we've already been doing and make us kind of think about those things either, you know, retrospectively or moving forward with how our actions are conveying this, not just a story, but like a thinking of the, the issues that are weighing on the characters in the game. You yeah. know, a pretty common theme throughout all the games that I've already mentioned is Snake is just taking orders in Metal Gear Solid 1. And after this game, chronologically wise, he and his friend Oticon just go off and do whatever they think is right. Yeah. They start to fight for what they believe in. In other Metal Gear games, you have a lot of characters talking about, you know, what can be a generic conversation point of we're being pawns of the government, but can be an engaging kind of point, where it's where is the honor in fighting? If you're only just going to do what other people say, and you have no way to verify if what they want you to do is good or bad, why are you doing it? Are you just doing it from love of your country? You know what I mean? Yes. They kind of specifically depict, and I think rightly so, nationalism as a bad thing in Metal Gear. (laughs) And so I just, I I mean, kind of kind of got a little tangenty here, but I think Metal Gear Solid 1, after every boss fight, the boss fight, uh, not, sorry, not after every boss fight, but after the ones in the later half of the game, they kind of start talking about why they were doing what they were doing. And it makes you kind of look at these people as not just pure antagonism. I'm evil guy and I told her baby. Like everyone in Resident Evil 4. Right. You know, they're, they're people who did things for a reason. And then you have to think about, well, what's Snake doing? how valuable it's, you know snake is doing i get that we're trying to like save the world from a nuke or whatever but also what the main characters of the game are do or the villains of the game are doing liquid snake and all those people there are arguments <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for
0: their plans <laughs> yeah and and full spoilers past this point if you want to play the game but we later learn that the nuke th- that we're trying that we are trying to save. All of this has kind of been orchestrated, or or at least controlled to some degree, like by the government that we work for. You know, in this case, America. But America's goal is not to just stop the nuclear launch; it is to take over the island. You know, is to is yeah. to gain control of the nuclear launch and thus gain power over the world. And that's an important note because we also see that coming through in Metal Gear Solid Two later. But the idea that the the powers that be do not have our interests at heart. Not the people that work for them, not the people that they work for. The powers that be exist to control and create more power for themselves. And that's, that's a big takeaway from, uh, from Mario Solid 1 as a whole. One of the reasons I think 1 works, and not 2 so much,
1: uh, or 4, and, you know, whatever. The, the games that work, I think, really focus on this is they focus on understanding the important characters who will be in the story throughout the game and using an exploration of their personalities to kind of get deep dives into the things that we're kind of talking about and focusing on. So without getting too caught in the mud of exactly the logistics of whatever absurd conspiracy plot that (laughs) we're peddling out this game. A good example of that is early in the game, you meet the DARPA chief, who don't know what that stands for? But get used I don't to either. that. Get used to that. They say it. It's like the Department of like Presidential Tech Arms. Tech. Sure.
0: Yeah. You know, something like that. He's the he's the guy that does the guns for the president. Sure. Yeah. Probably.
1: Yeah. You know, you, you're never quite sure if these things are actually real acronyms or not. Yeah. But you you have a conversation with him, and it's mostly plot centric, and it's not. It's mostly there to kind of uh, set up mysteries and cliffhangers and stuff. But that's not what the important part of the theme is. Right after he dies, because reasons, the girl in the cell next to you, Meryl, who's the daughter uh, or the niece of the colonel, doesn't super matter, escapes from her cell and has to fire, has to actually kill people. And there, she hesitates. And there's basically Snake being like, this is not a simulation, this is real life. You just have to like commit and pull the trigger. And it's an interesting moment in a game where you kind of go around choking people to death. Yeah. That early on, the story kind of shows a character who just can't do that Yeah. from the get-go. And kind of how to Snake, it's completely a uh, completely reflexive action at this point. But also Snake, who's been in the field long enough, understanding that it's not true like that for everyone, right? And having a character in the story that reflects something like... Maybe I shouldn't just be excited to shoot people who will disappear. The polygons will disappear yeah. from my screen as I play. I should consider the enemies as human beings, not just a video game adversary. It's already much different than like most games that have existed up to that
0: point. Yeah, it, we actually see this um, in Metal Gear Solid Two. There are there are like some sort of side missions that you can play. I don't know if this if this came when they did the the remaster of it all, but I'm almost positive it yeah. did. Uh, maybe not, but it's, they're called Snake Tales, and you can play. You can play a snake in his infiltration of the Big Shell, which is the area for Metal Gear yeah, Solid Two. Spoilers: You're not Snake for most of Metal Gear Solid Two. <laughs> People something, were kind of pe- mad about something you might not realize. But in Snake Tales, you start out by like finding Ames, who's like a presidential assistant, and Ames is like, "Oh, you're you're Solid Snake, the legendary hero. You killed all those terrorists on the uh, on the boat. You saved all of us, and the." The tanker is, the boat that he's referring to, is the first part of the game. And yeah, you just go through and you kind of kill everybody and you're taking out terrorists. But when Ames says that, he's like, you're a hero. You're the legendary hero, Snake. And because in Snake Tales, everything's communicated through text, you actually get to see Snake think. And he's like, he's like oh, you mean that literal boatload of bodies that I created? I'd rather not talk about that, you know? Yeah. Snake, by Metal Gear Solid 2, already has essentially, like, PTSD, about the things he's done as a soldier and as a freedom fighter. Because he that was his own op that he was doing. Snake is like actively, you know, sacrificing himself, uh like his own his own moral compass, his own concept Damn. of what's right to try to save the world in probably a pretty backwards way. But it's interesting to see how these things affect Snake, and that all starts with Merrill being like, I don't even know how to kill people. But also, Merrill, we find out, is the kind of person that She was like, I am a military brat. I was raised in a military family. All I wanted as a kid was to grow up to be a soldier, to be a great soldier, you know? Mm -hmm. And now that she's in the position to do it, she's like, I don't know how, you know? I don't know if I can do it. It's interesting because I think Snake has never had that problem. Yeah. You know, Snake is like, actually being a soldier is the only thing I've ever been good at. It's the foundation of my life. Yeah. And seeing somebody who can't do it, he's. I think that, exactly as you said, it reflects back on him. And, and it reflects on the other thing that comes
1: up a lot, is which is, is Snake a good soldier because he was born with solid snake
0: genes? Or uh, big boss genes. Yeah,
1: yeah, quite, yeah, sorry. <laughs> he's the clone. Or is he good because the scenarios that he was placed in made him this way? Yes. Right? And it's interesting because clearly Kojima is copping to a little bit of... Uh, you, you know, our genes define us because, you know, the Snakes and Big Boss clones are good at murdering people. <laughs> they're really good at it. But they're also all very different characters. Yeah. You know, they're very distinct. And there's something that made Snake different than all of these people. And what is that? And why was that? You know, it's an interesting thing explored explore throughout the whole series. Sometimes better, sometimes worse. Right. And I think, you know, really is just the bulk of the solid Snake work. There's some good stuff on Big Boss and... 3 and 5 or whatever, but we don't see a lot of really good character development of Solid Snake in really any other game but Naruto Solid 1.
0: Yeah, that's true. He doesn't really even exist outside of just 1 and
1: 4. Yeah, I mean, I mean, he's in 2 the whole time, but he's he's there as a foil for our new main character. Yeah. And in 4, he's just, he's, he's weird. <laughs> it's just weird. <laughs> he's, he's old now. He looks like Jeff Foxworthy. <laughs> like, it's just weird. And then you're like, I've been su- super aging the whole time. And you're like, when did you tell me this?
0: <laughs> and why didn't you say it louder? Yeah, they kind of mention it in Metal Gear Solid 1, but it's it's not obvious what they no, mean. No, they
1: mention it, it in 2. Uh, Liquid Snake says, you're drowning in time, brother. <laughs> yeah. And literally, that's all we get. In any of the games before four, and to be like, Oh, he's aging. And it's like, why is he age so much? It's like, remember when Liquid said he's drowning in time? And it's just <laughs> like, I don't know, you could have like had any character have any moment of being like, Oh, you're drowning you're you're aging quickly. We should Yeah. Consider this Your genes are a, bad. A fact <laughs> that affects our lives. Yeah. Right? Like, if you were if you had a family, right, and your little brother had Benjamin Button disorder. Right. You'd feel like it would come up
0: like in conversation kind of a lot. <laughs> what if what if instead you just spent his whole life telling him that he's just weird? <laughs> yeah. That like nothing he does makes sense. Yeah,
1: you're just like eventually you're going to uh Yeah, no, we all look like old men when we're babies. Yeah, no,
0: that's fine. Figure it out. Yeah, in in this game, the central problem between liquid and solid <laughs> It's yeah. hard to talk about <laughs> yeah, Oh. But Liquid Snake, who... It- the,
1: the, Kojima should put more effort into naming his characters than blazeball does into naming divisions. Because <laughs> <laughs> that literally wasn't. It was like Solid Evil and Solid Good. Liquid Evil <laughs> and Liquid Good. Like, that's just the Metal Gear naming system. <laughs> and they used it to name divisions in a fake splort. <laughs> 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 that might be confusing to anyone who doesn't know what blaze ball is
0: <laughs> oh, we'll get into it yeah we'll get into we'll get into it in this podcast, I promise you. we're going to talk about some blaze ball so but the the central the central problem between liquid snake and solid snake is that they are clones of big boss who was the legendary hero the big boss is representative metaphorically of the great soldier you know the yeah. the guy who just does the right thing. Right? When you need something to happen as a country, Big Boss is your guy.
1: Now represented to uh was based off Sean Connery. Yep.
0: Yeah. Uh and the original so,
1: snake was based off Mel Gibson. Think about that for a while. I'd rather not. From Metal Gear, the MSX version, nineteen eighty six. Was See in nineteen eighty six I was
0: sorry, I was doing the monologues. <laughs> <laughs> was uh original snake also anti Semitic? Uh, unclear yet. <laughs> unclear, they didn't talk Just about it. Just like
1: that. it was for Mel Gibson at the time.
0: <laughs> but probably shouldn't have been. Yeah. Um, but... The central problem between Liquid and Solid is that... Is one if, getting too old for
1: this shit? Liquid... See, that was a lethal weapon. Mel Gibson. okay,
0: oh, okay. Okay. They're connected. That Liquid wants... Or, he says, I got all the recessive genes from Big Boss. And, like... Okay, that doesn't mean anything. That's yeah, that's bad. Yeah, recessive genes don't mean like they're
1: the bad genes. Yeah, They just means they're the genes less likely to express themselves in your DNA code.
0: Yeah, it. There's not a moral foundation. There's not a physical foundation for what it. Well, uh, there's a physical, but like I. I mean, there's not like that's like that's. It's not like saying recessive genes are bad in any way.
1: That's like that's like a Ben Shapiro was a fucking DNA guy. Where right. he's like, I don't need these beta boy cut. <laughs> Soy milk jeans. I need the genes to make their opinion known.
0: <laughs> Man, liquid would be uh, like a big follower of like Ben Shapiro. Yeah, 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 he would be. He would be. He'd be watching that shit all day. Yeah, but because
1: they're, he's like, I should nuke someone, and they're like, they agree with me on television. <laughs> what a weird point to be making.
0: I'm gonna take over an island in Alaska. Yeah, we should kill all the Kurds. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so he he's he's like I he's mad about that. I did make a all... bunch
1: of Sarah Palin jokes because <laughs> they're in Alaska. Oh. <laughs> like in my head, you know. I th- I think at one point they're like the governor of Alaska. <laughs> it's just so funny
0: to think of <laughs>
1: Sailor Sarah Palin affecting their mission. Sorry to constantly interrupt you. <laughs> okay. Welcome to Metal Gear.
0: I'll get through this. So he thinks his genes are bad, and he's mad about that. His idea is that Solid Snake, who looks just like Big Boss and everything, he got all the good genes, all the dominant genes, and it makes him the best, but still Liquid's like he's pretty fit, and he's like willing to go toe to toe in a fist fight with Because Solid actually Snake. he got all
1: the dominant genes. Oh it was a lie the whole time.
0: Big spoilers, he got all the dominant genes. But it kinda doesn't mean anything. Well like they say that at the end of one, and then you're like, okay, and it never comes up again or means anything. Well well, it does mean something, but it's the fact that that genes in this case are used as a metaphor for your ability to like self determine. Yeah? You know? Whereas Snake, who doesn't really know anything about his past, he doesn't he doesn't know he's a clone of Big Boss. He doesn't know anything about that. He doesn't know he supposedly got all the dominant genes, or even what that means or why it would matter. That's not the point of Snake. Snake is just living the life he's trying to live, and he's learning and growing through his own actions. Whereas Liquid is a man who's defined by his past. Who's defined by the things that he thinks make him. In this case, his genes. Yeah. He knows that he's a clone of somebody else, and that really got into his head. And now he's like, he's like, did I get the good genes? Am I good enough clone? And the answer is, you decide if you're good enough. Liquid decided that he wasn't. And so... You know, he just he wants to take his his anger out on the whole world because he feels predetermined. He feels trapped in a system that is not of his making and doesn't care about him. That he's like, oh, I'm I'm just I am what I am, and I can't change that. I have no choice in my life, and this is the core theme that we talk about in two.
1: Does it ever bother you that? uh He's saying, Well, I got all the dominant genes and he got all the recessive genes, and it's like, so you didn't clone him then? <laughs> <laughs> like well, that's just not how it works, you know? We divvied up the genes into two things and we gave them some of his genes and some of those genes. Those are called children. Right? Like <laughs> Who
0: got the who got the frog genes and the chameleon genes so they can turn invisible? Doing mm. a Jurassic World reference here.
1: Oh, that's... Yeah, that's... Someone's gonna fall that one day. Um, A movie that everyone saw once, maybe, and then forgot instantly. We have a different podcast on that. That's a really good movie I want to talk about. And then at the end of the fucking day... Uh, the guy who got half his jeans is British and blonde and looks nothing like Big Boss. Yeah. Like, it his frickin' nationality.
0: <laughs> yeah, he's definitely doing a fake accent. Yeah. But as none of the clones of Big Boss look like him, except for, you know, Salt Lake, right? But beyond that, like... Uh, excuse me, Ocelot said he's a spitting image of Big Boss talking to Solidus, which is kind of true. Is he, though? Yeah, that's what Big Boss looks like. I guess, but like, doesn't he look like Snake, Solid Snake? Uh,
1: no, I mean, before that, all we see, if you're, if you're using when they just started doing three and five in the prequels where they just made Solid Snake look exact, or Big Moss look exactly like Solid Snake. Yeah. What we only saw before that was the Metal Gear one portrait and the Metal Gear two portrait, the 2D games on the MSX where he just is based off Sean Connery and is like a white haired guy with an eye badge. Fair enough. So like that's what he used to look like to everyone. But then they made a game and they're were like, "We're just going to use the snake model
0: over and over again." Yeah. I yeah. guess I'm taking it mostly from three, where you actually play as big boss. Yeah, and they just—it's just—it's exactly solid snake. Yeah, I actually don't like that choice. I wish he just didn't look exactly like. That's interesting, uh, but yeah. it, but it also kind because, of because like now
1: liquid makes no sense.
0: Yeah. Right. Right. Uh, but it also kind of it makes the- our point makes my point for me, yeah, right, which is that all of this genes nonsense is nonsense, right? It doesn't matter like if you look like him, what genes you have if you if if you are big boss or you're not big boss or you're his kid, I mean, it's basically at this point, it's like he just has kids, yeah, you know, yeah. and they're kinda like him, and they're kinda not because that's how that's how genes work, yeah,
1: it's really fun at the end, just to pretend that uh. Liquid Snake's really into fashion, because he's just, like, shirtless talking about (laughs) jeans all the time. It's like, you'll never have jeans as good as mine! My jeans are Wranglers. It's like, brother, just leave me alone. (laughs) Don't don't really care about this. Look at my collection! Brother! (laughs) My jeans! You must fit into my skinny jeans in three minutes and we'll all explode. You
0: have to tap triangle really, really fast <laughs> yeah. to, like, get into the jeans. Yeah,
1: wiggle. That actually sounds
0: like a fun game. Um, <laughs> oh, that'd be, that would be fun. I, I could see that on, like, uh, Newgrounds or something. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, way back in the day. When get get into your skinny existed.
1: jeans so you can go to the AFI
0: show. <laughs> <laughs> um a lot of people just turn off our podcast, <laughs> like, how dare you make fun of me like this? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Back to Metal Gear.
3: <laughs> you know, I don't use makeup the way other women do. I hardly ever look at myself in the mirror. I've always despised that kind of woman. I always dreamed of becoming a soldier. But I was wrong. It wasn't really my dream. My father. He was killed in action when I was younger. You
1: wanted to follow in your father's footsteps?
3: Not really. I thought that if I became a soldier, I could understand him better.
1: So are you a soldier yet?
3: I thought I was until today, but now I understand. The truth is, I was just afraid of looking at myself. Afraid of having to make my own decisions in life. But I'm not gonna lie to myself anymore. It's time I took a long, hard look at myself. I want to know who I am, what I'm capable of. I want to know why I've lived the way I've lived until now. I want to know.
1: Take a good look. You won't get another chance for a while. You should wash your face, too, while you're at it. Yeah. This isn't a training exercise. Our lives are riding on this. There are no heroes or heroines. If you lose, you're worm food. Yeah. One thing in one, I would say, is every kind of pretty much main character kind of has a contribution to the game's thesis statement where they'll have like kind of a scene where they talk and they focus on things. So to try to organize them, you have Merrill talking about being a soldier where it's kind of focused on what reality is versus what your expectations are Yeah. in in soldiers. You have Otacon can love bloom on the battlefield. Right. Right. You have Gray Fox, the cyborg ninja, uh, as he's dying, talking to Snake about not just being tools of the government and how we can still be soldiers because it's what we're good at, but how can we do it in, you know, morally? Liquid talking about genes for two and a half days. <laughs> it's really not one scene. It's just the entire end game.
0: Yeah, it is, it's just what Liquid does. Yeah.
1: And then you have various boss death scenes. I don't think Snake just kind of adds to everyone's point of view. Snake's never really looking at the camera, kind of, like, yeah. giving us his speeches about the way the world works. I think that kind of covers all the important, big, thematic, focal points of the game. Right. Uh, did you want to talk about any of those? All of them. First. <laughs> <laughs> so one thing we kind of talked a lot about early, but I think it's the most kind of obvious to the player, and, you know, reinforced by the gameplay a lot, is the stuff in the Merrill conversation about kind of what it means to be a soldier. Yeah. Right, like when you choke people, you hear the ar- ar- like you hear them choking. Like it's kind of you know it's a crappy PS1 noise, right? But you know you're murdering people, you know as they are in a urinal and shit. You yeah. know what I mean? Like you're you're forced to consider uh, what you're doing. And I think the con- it's one of my first conversations of the game where I really think we're like grounding the story in the reality of who these people are. We're not just kind of jumping from mystery to mystery. Uh, cause Meryl's opening up to Snake, right? And it's kind of the first time you've really been face to face with Meryl during this whole game. Mechanically, to even find her, you have to search for guards' butts to see which butt moves like a woman's. (laughs) Follow her to the women's bathroom where you have a whole speech and stuff.
0: Ooh, that really sounds bad when we just say it out of context. That's how, yeah, that's how a lot of Kojima sounds. But yeah, you you do follow her to the woman's bathroom, and she's she changes out. She's like she's disguised as a guard, so you have to sort of identify her, yeah, through other means. You know, very easy to kill. And him. one of them, it, well, it, it's kind of interesting, I guess, because she is literally the only woman. Every other guard on the island is a man. They're digital clones of Big Boss. Yeah, it's like there is a there is a woman's bathroom, but she's the only one that will ever use it. We can confidently say anybody that goes in that room is going to be Meryl. And that's interesting, at least. Yeah, for- and you can't go in that bathroom until Meryl does. Yeah,
1: like it literally won't let you.
0: Yeah, but then, uh, then you do, and Meryl's like changed out of her guard uniform, and she kind of sh- she's looking for a pep talk from Snake, but to do that, she has to sort of divulge her whole backstory, which involves a, a lot of conversation about her struggling with being a woman in like a man's world, you know, in the in the male centric military life. She's like, okay, I- my father was in the military, and. I wanted to join the military. I wanted to be the great soldier, but there's also a part of me that's not that. And in this case, she kind of refers to it as, as like, as like the, the feminine part of her. It's like, I don't want any part of this. I want, uh, I, I want to be something else. I want to be a fan- I want to be a, a woman. I, you know, I want to, I want to wear makeup and do stuff like that, but I also want to be a soldier on the battlefield.
1: Well, I mean, sort of. I mean, what she says is I never did that. Like I never had that. That part of my life was stripped away as childhood. Yes. I don't think it's necessarily just saying, I wish I had all those things. It's just kind of like the reality of like, but I didn't, and I didn't get to have these normal experiences. And then I finally get to the world that I was building towards, and it's ugly. Yeah, right. Like, like, and, and I think that's the thing is, it's like people always, when they meet Snake, are always talking to him about a hero, including Barrel. You know, this legendary hero. And Snake, not a single time, ever revels in it. He is always dismissive of it. And is more or less like, you don't understand. I did my job, and then I went home, and I didn't feel good about it. Yeah. Because right after that, you and Meryl go kill Psycho Mantis. And Solid Snake's response to Psycho Mantis's, you know death whale is Psycho saying, put the mask on me. You know, I want to be alone with my thoughts, because apparently without the mask, his thoughts can just reach into everyone's mind. And there's a lot, like, Snake in two different ways in that scene basically says... These are his last wishes. I'm here to respect them. you know, yes. like this is an immensely evil guy. Of all the Foxhound people, you can argue Psychomantis is the most evil and depraved and smart, yeah, absolutely, right. But as he dies, you listen to his story that humanizes him, even though the story involves him burning down the village that his family lit, like yeah. killing his dad and killing everyone inside, right. Like that's what that's the story he tells, yet you still feel more sympathetic to him. And Snake is relating to that character, and that speaks a lot, right? To continue well, to, to keep going on this aside, there's the second part of the Merrill conversation where right after Psychomantis' speech, Merrill, very somberly in all of her deliveries of the of the lines, is kind of like do you have any friends? Do you have any family? Do you have anything you wake up in the morning for? What is in your life, Snake? And he's like, there's no time for things on the battlefield, which will get used to Snake saying
0: <laughs> no answer for those questions on the battlefield. You know, it's, that's just yeah. what he does all the time. But it's also because he has no answer to those questions. Yeah. You know, cause like the answer is, is quite sadly no. Mm-hmm. You know, because it, he doesn't have a life, right? Because yeah. a life on the battlefield is not a life. It is an experience created by someone else. It is a it is a system of orders that you have to take and tasks you have to do. And it's a way to avoid living. And yeah. that's the central struggle that Meryl is is working against, is the fact that for her whole life, she looked up to being a soldier. And then when she got there, she realized there's nothing, nothing in it. She gets into the field, and she finally realizes that everything she gave up was was more meaningful and could have created a life for her. Whereas when you become a soldier, when you get onto the battlefield, there is literally nothing to be gained. There's only loss. Yeah. And that's what we see in every other major boss.
1: Yeah, it's interesting, because with Snake specifically... You know, during these conversations, right, you know, he says he has nothing. But he does talk about one thing that he kind of cares about outside the world of I'm a spy and doing sneaking stuff, where he's now an Alaskan dog musher. <laughs> yeah. Right? And I honestly think it's kind of interesting, because it's like, he's in Alaska training dogs, and the beginning of the whole game is very much, again, lethal weapon. I'm the too old for this shit. Like, that's all a Snake says at the beginning. Yeah. Is, is, is the murder, you know, like, I'm too old for this shit. Like, I've retired. I'm mushing my dogs. Like, how dare you bring me back? And it's like, you're the only one who can do it, Snake. You have to do it. You know, kind of thing. And at first, it's kind of set up as, in my opinion, just lethal weapon nonsense, right? But, like, later, when the game actually makes you kind of consider who these people are more than you probably first thought, uh, it's interesting to, to think what Snake's life like is outside of this, and how even if everything he does is murdering people, he can still be a nurturing character. Just because you go around shooting people doesn't mean you can take care of, like, a bunch of
0: dogs and or wolves. Yeah, and that's actually interesting from, like, a meta perspective, because you as a player go into the game just thinking... I'm playing the soldier character. You know, I'm here to do a mission. Yeah. And that's your that's your objective. And then you learn stuff like this character I'm playing is a dog musher. That's just a thing that he does in his off time, a thing we'll never see. And also, it's like the last screen in the game, you know, where yeah. they're, when they're doing the credits, you just see you just see a, a guy, you know, mushing dogs through the snow, and it's just this reminder that like there is a world outside of this, you know, combat zone, this battlefield.
1: Asking the most important question of the series, in my opinion. Can you mush off into the sunset? <laughs> is, that a, is that a grammatically correct way
0: of explaining that action? It would be too bright.
1: <laughs>
0: I don't get it. So the sun reflects off the snow, and snow is, becomes really bright. So if you wanted to mush directly into the sun, that would be a problem.
1: It was not my... Not really the, the
0: question I was asking. Sorry, I thought you wanted an answer.
1: I wanted an answer about the language part of it.
0: Can you mush dogs on the battlefield? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Right? It's probably happened, right? Almost certainly. Speaking of dogs, these ideas culminate, I I think... I gave you
1: such a better transition (laughs) and we did that.
0: (laughs) These ideas, I think, culminate really well with the sniper-wolf fight. So Meryl gets sniped by Sniper Wolf and uh, she's not dead. She, she, she gets like sniped in the legs and the pelvis. It's yeah. pretty, it's pretty violently
1: <laughs> P- brutal. Yeah. Pretty common when you get, no, sorry. You, she decided the pelvis in the Twin Snakes edition. Oh. They involved shooting her knees and arms as well. <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh, they're like, man, we haven't sniped her enough. You just, you're just like pretty sure she's going to die, but. Uh, Snake has to leave and go find a sniper rifle somewhere in the level so that he can, so that he can counter Sniper. By the time he gets back, uh, Meryl's gone. They've, they've like captured her. I guess she's just fine. But Snake also gets captured and we meet Sniper Wolf and she's like a dog in the way she talks about things. She's like, she's like, I've marked you for my prey. And Ocelot is in the background being like, once Sniper Wolf has marked you, uh, she always finds her kill. Sometimes she even falls in love with them before she kills them. And you're like, what? I don't understand what's going on here. Yeah. But eventually you do you do have to get in a sniper battle with her and, and Seems
1: like the worst trait to
0: have is a sniper.
1: <laughs> right? Is just falling in love with the person you're aiming at.
0: Yeah. We're gonna I'm gonna talk about that. So <laughs> So we get to the we, we defeat Sniper Wolf in the sniper battle and she's laying on the snow and she has to have a big long monologue and of course she talks about her past
2: i was born on a battlefield raised on a battlefield which is gunfire
0: she was sirens, just a kid screams. A, a a civilian they in were a, my lullabies. a brutal war that took everything from her it took Hunted like dogs and day after day and everything and all she did all day was just try Raven to survive it's like shelters. i would wake up I would go to sleep that with my family and I would wake up. my and life.
2: Each morning I'd wake up and find a few more of my family or friends dead beside me. I stare at the morning sun and pray to make it through the day. The governments of the world turned a blind eye to our misery. But then... He appeared. My hero. Saladin. He took me away from all that. Saladin? You mean Big Boss? I became a sniper. Hidden. Watching everything through a rifle scope. Now I could see war, not from inside, but from the outside. As an observer, I watched the brutality, the stupidity of mankind through the scope of my rifle. I joined this group of revolutionaries to take my revenge on the world but I have shamed myself and my people I am no longer the wolf I was born to be in the name of vengeance I sold my body and my soul now I am nothing more than a Wolves are noble animals. They're not like dogs. In Yupik, the word for wolf is keglanek, and the Aluts revere them as honorable cousins. They call mercenaries like us dogs of war. It's true. We're all for sale at some price or another. But you're different. Untamed. Solitary.
1: You're no dog. You're a wolf. I feel like I have to look up if Sniper Wolf is Raiden's mom right now. <laughs> right? Like, it, just, like, it just sounds like it might be. Continue. Could, just,
0: could be, I suppose. Just sounds like a Metal Gear thing to be true. But she is emblematic of of all of the bosses in which they tend to have just been like severely traumatized by war. And that's generally what humanizes them, is the fact that... like. They're not out here because they're intelligent people making intelligent decisions. They're out here because they are damaged people, just trying to find anything that makes sense to them. She grew up in a war. She, she grew up knowing only how to kill and only how to lose. And yeah. she's just, she's really just looking for someone to end that suffering. Oh, uh, and that's,
1: Hey, that's she- a character in two. <laughs> <laughs> Her whole point, she just wants to get shot and end up her suffering again. Yeah. They're probably direct parallels on purpose.
0: Yes, many of them are. Because yeah. again, two ostensibly it's it's weird to say, but two really is just a rehash of one. In, kind of purposely and in in and for Yeah, in plot reasons. In plot reasons, but at the same time, like thematically it's also very much the same. Right? 'Cause they're they're dealing with the same problems of of war and being a soldier and being uh, the, the ideas of self-motivation versus being controlled, you know?
1: Yeah, sequels to games are really interesting because it really asks you what you think your game did well.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: For to, sequels to good games. You know, clearly a lot of things that work in ones are these new ideas. So you're going to want to try a lot of new ideas in two, you know, because they worked in your first game. So it's interesting to see what in one was drastically different and when two was drastic. Like, it, whatever you're saying. The things that were drastically different in two... Show while well, we think this thing might have been good and things that are the same are things they thought were already good. I think it's interesting for what we can look at what a developer thought was good and how it worked in the first game. And
0: are you familiar with the story of Job? Yeah, we talk about so Job. The story of Job is really interesting, especially in, in this context. And, you know, buckle up. It all started in 1983. No, it all started, uh, in, in God times in the Bible. So Job was God's best disciple. Everything in his life was great, and it's because, well, it's maybe, it's possibly because he was so darn faithful. And God's up on his mountain, and he's looking at Job, and and Satan shows up. And he says, hey, God, I bet Job wouldn't praise your name so much if you just smited the hell out of him. And God's like, you're on. You can take Job. Uh do whatever you want you can kill kill his family, burn his crops you know covers cover his body in boils right just leave him just kind of like this writhing mass of pain and agony and and suffering uh just don't kill him and we'll see we'll see if he still is faithful to me and so Satan does that he kills his he kills job's family, he burns down his house he burns his crops he gives him boils all over his body and literally leaves him on the ground just in pain for days and days and days and all of job's friends start coming by as you do and they're like job what did you do what like how do you piss off god this much and job's like i didn't do anything i swear and they're like you must have done something like god doesn't just smite people for no reason what are you what have you been up to you know and and job's like i didn't do anything i didn't do anything and the whole time, he still refuses to to go against God. He's not like he's not like, "Damn you, God, for everything you this horrible thing that's happened to me." He's just like, "I just don't understand. I really don't get it. I didn't do anything." And finally, after after a few days, he asks the question out loud. He's like, "God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you done this?" And God decides to answer, but he doesn't. He doesn't like come down to Job as a man. He doesn't come down on his level and be like Job. I can't explain what's happened to you uh, in a way that would be satisfactory, but I'm going to make everything right. Understand that your suffering has been a great service to me, you know, has been meaningful. No, God comes down as a storm, as an elemental conflux of power and might. And he says to Joe,
2: I hear it's amazing when the famous purple stuffed worm in flapjaw space with the tuning fork does a raw blink on Harry Carey rock. I need scissors. Sixty-one.
1: I always wonder if he picked that because it broke Roger Maris. That was the number of home runs Roger Maris hit to break Babe record. Why would he need scissors for that? Just the 61. It's like, that. that's so significant. Like, there's a movie called 61. It was such, like, just a really big deal. Maybe so. I mean, it seems so unlikely, but also it's just like, that's what 61 is. That's the significance of that number. There's nothing with the word 61 in it that's more important than Roger Maris at that home run.
0: Well, let me, let me put it this way. What we just heard was a quote from the end of Metal Gear Solid 2 in which the colonel is starting to... Loses mind because the colonel turns out to be a simulation, literally created by the the shadow government, the Illuminati, the Patriots, and a virus has been uploaded into his into his computer programming that is making him kind of lose his mind, and he's just saying nonsense, right? So, like the concept of sixty one could it could in fact just simply be nonsense, right? It the point is it may not have any significance at all, and the reason I I <laughs> the reason I say that's what God says is because what God actually says to Job is. Fuck you, Job! How dare you question me? I am God. I created all things. Everything you are is mine. You don't own things. I can't take your family from you. It is mine. I cannot give you boils. I give myself boils because you are mine. Job, everything you are or could be or could or have ever been is mine. Fuck you. Don't ever question me again. And of course, Job is a coward, and is and is like, yes, God, but also God is a giant storm all around him, and frankly, that's intimidating. You know, kind of like
1: my wife. Am I? Why do you bite me?
0: I just haven't talked in a while. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the, the the idea, you know, Job is is like, sure, that makes sense to me. And from a theology perspective, this idea has often been used to show like the supremacy of God. That like, if something bad happens, uh, this. I'm paraphrasing don't take this as as a literal concept of the philosophy look stuff up for yourself but the idea is that if if god does it if god did create everything and and part of everything is um being good then god is all good everything he does is good and if you suffer misfortune it is good because god did it right that's that's a big paraphrasing and you shouldn't take that at face value because you're going to misunderstand it but Let's talk about the Garages for a minute. So the Garages are, are a band that, that sing about the game Blazeball. God, this is the most Kojima experience
1: ever. <laughs> I, the other player, hasn't done anything, and you literally also
0: said, please read a book in between this? <laughs> I'm not done. I'm talking about the Garages. So the Garages recently uh, released an album called Discipline, which covers the first era of Ball known as the Discipline Era, right? The reason it's called Discipline is because the players opened the Forbidden Book, and the gods got real mad about that. And they came down to the actual world, and they started smiting people. They The, the umpires gained the ability to incinerate people on an eclipse, and they do it a lot, and... This is
1: a (laughs) text-based, for those unaware, this is a text-based game that incorporates eldritch horror elements with baseball and simulates games
0: to tell stories. It's It's a weird concept. Right, and so the great shelled one, the peanut god, comes down and he starts shelling different players and stuff like that. And he, as the garages say in their songs,
1: Restraint?
0: These fans don't know the meaning of the word. With the book open and the umps fired up, the shelled one has demanded we learn discipline. But fans and players alike have declared war
2: on the gods. That's right. Every single god.
0: The gods demand discipline. Because they make the rules of baseball. They come down and they say, this is how things work. This is how things are going to be. And this is what you can and can't do. And the Garage has come out with another song that's called Fight Gods. Probably their most popular song. I don't know offhand, but it seems like it would be.
1: Yeah, we've went in a lot of different directions (laughs) (laughs) No (laughs) We're drawing a circle (laughs) Yeah, you have all 2 brain right now (laughs) You're like, it's all connected if If
0: every concept gets its own thing to monologue about Yes Oh But in the song Fight Gods They're talking about how the gods are, you know, annihilating other players And they say
4: You're gonna light us in fire And expect nothing it doesn't matter. That's not the way this works. You can't just lift the ones we love away from us, like it doesn't
0: matter. You can't just lift the ones you love away from us like it doesn't matter. And that's an interesting concept when we think about when we think back to Job, right? God is all powerful. He he makes everything. He owns everything. Nothing we do in that concept of of what what would we call like the Platonic good, the ideal version of good, nothing we do in that world matters. And the garages are putting forward a radical idea that, in fact, what we do, what we want, whether it is good or not, or in line with what God thinks. It is the way things should be. You can't just lift the ones you love away from us like it doesn't matter. They're actively saying you cannot be good without caring about the people that matter in the situation. That good is, even if we even if we ascribe an objective good in the universe, you can't have it without a subjective morality that requires you to care about the people around you. To care about the people that are affected by your actions. And this is something we call care ethics that was created in the 1980s. <laughs> I want to go back to playing Dark Souls so bad. <laughs> You're talking about want, and I'm like, I'm almost at the throne of want. Don't forget the cons text. We're, we're, we're talking about Sniper Wolf. So, care ethics essentially is exactly what I said, which is a branch of ethics that says moral action requires that it be done in the service of caring for another moral being. By which I mean, it's not simply stopping at a stop sign isn't good. It's good if you do it because you care about, um, you know, whether or not you'll, you'll run someone down if you don't, something like that, right? There's ideas of self care. There's ideas of caring about the people around you with your actions, directly or indirectly. And it, it's just, it's this idea that we can only do something moral if it involves caring about another moral being. Otacon, while Sniper Wolf is dying, runs out.
4: Why? Why? I loved you.
0: And he's crying. And he's like, I loved her. And she's dying, and it's like Otakon. What the fuck are you talking about? You don't even know her. She's not like she's not a person that's capable of love. I know Oslot said she falls in love with her victims. That's not what love is. You know what are you talking about? And Oslot, or sorry, Otakon's just crying, and he's like, Snake, you said that love could bloom on the battlefield, but I couldn't save her, Snake. Do you think love can bloom on the battlefield? And this question is is what spawned all all this, right? Because let's think back what we understand about a battlefield, right? It's an impersonal thing. Everyone on there is there to kill one another, to uh, survive, to follow orders, to be nothing of themselves, to care nothing about one another. We see this... More when we talk about Solid Snake and Gray Fox, who are both, they are literally friends. And at one point, Snake was like, well, we fought together in the last war. And Meryl was like, and you're trying to kill each other now? And Snake's just like, yeah, it's just the business.
1: Yeah, well, you know? he has like, he "Was like, well, like last time I saw him, we met. We're fighting bare-fisted in a minefield. <laughs> it's so funny because it's in Metal Gear 2 itself. But it's like, there's little like circle sprites on the ground that are minds you can't walk on, and it just looks like the most bare, mi- like, like, worse graphics than, um, Battletoads. Oh, yeah. You know, you're just like, but like, just little punches going <laughs> forward, We're like, just an arm extending animation. Like, you know, we played Mike Tyson punch out one time, yeah. and now, you know, we're forever. It's just, it's always just so funny where they're homaging a thing that just visually can't convey what they're trying to go for. Yeah.
0: But the idea is like, a battlefield is a place where connections don't matter anymore. Where everyone that gets hurt gets hurt arbitrarily. That friends can be friends here and then on the next battlefield they're enemies because it's an impersonal thing. It's not, it's not theirs and there's no connection there. And if we ascribe this sort of care ethics that we see in, you know, the music of the garages and, and we see in, in baseball, how that community, like the baseball community is a really wholesome community, you know? If we, if we ascribe those ethics to the battlefield, we can, factually say that, no, love cannot bloom on the battlefield. It is not a place of love because it is not a place of connection. We only gain connection through the rejection of the battlefield, which is what we see afterwards when Snake decides to go off on his own. Yes, he kind of keeps choosing battlefields, but, like, they're his battlefields, you know? Well, that connects to the thing that I kind of wanted to talk about, which is my favorite line of the game,
1: where... Gray Fox goes to save you from Metal Gear Rex, you know? Right. And then he gets pinned against the wall, and Liquid is just doing a classic Metal Gear villain thing of like, Do you know about jackals and rabbits? <laughs> <laughs> One of them hunts the other, and you're pinned like a jack... Just It's an analogy with, your, with our names and our code names.
0: It's not a great analogy, because I do have to explain it.
1: Yeah. But, uh, while he's pinned the cockpit opens to the Metal Gear Rex and you have a stinger you can fire right at Liquid, right? But you can't because your friend Gray Fox is in the way who's now monologuing at you.
2: Snake, we're not tools of the government or anyone else. Fighting was the only thing, the only
4: thing I was good
2: at. But at least I
1: always But there's one line he says really specifically that I think sticks out to the thesis of who Snake is, where he says he has this weird hoarse voice that like makes all like he it has that Darth Vader quality to it, right? Where it's like he is broken and made of machines because the life he lived, and he looks at Snake and is like, the only the only thing that I ever was good at is fighting but I never fought for something I didn't believe in, In, which is somewhat paraphrased, but the more or less, it's really interesting because you establish the initial point of we are soldiers. It is what we're good at. It's what we were designed to do. We're never not going to be soldiers based on the way we've chosen and have
0: lived our lives yeah and literally because they were they were clones of the greatest soldier and that yeah well not
1: gray fox but yes
0: okay not Grey Fox. yeah um
1: (laughs) i think it's important to kind of take it outside of that the context of the clones and all that stuff right where it's like sometimes you just are a soldier you were built and you've learned and you've prepared to be that and that's all you know and all that sort of stuff but how can you find Fulfillment in a thing that is inherently meant to not be fulfilling. Yeah. Because at the best, you're doing the bidding of gods who could care less about you. Exactly. Who will kill you to make a point to some other higher being that isn't you, like Job and God. You know what I mean? Where they're going... You know, Snake shows up carrying a virus that's supposed to kill everyone and then die himself. Right. That's what the government's plan for him was, don't go in there and be a hero going here and give everyone COVID.
0: Yeah, be a sacrifice. Yeah. Exactly. And the the idea that, again, that's why I've compared God to, you know, Colonel Campbell in the second game. Is it Colonel Campbell? It's Roy Campbell. Roy in the second game too? Yeah. So, okay. I mean, it's sort of. <laughs> <laughs> but that's why I've compared I've compared God to it because he's just the one, like, issuing orders and it doesn't really matter what the reasons are. Like, you could think in some ways the Patriots have good reasons you can you can think about real worlds and be and be like well there's reasons there's good reasons often to fight real wars you know not lately but sometimes ideally there there can be reasons uh-huh. but name every just war <laughs> and we're done so <laughs> the the point is war can never uh, according according to this concept of care ethics that I, that I'm now espousing war can never be a moral action because it can never it can never consist of any kind of action that's, that's like, connecting, you know? It doesn't, it's only through the rejection of war can we can we connect at all.
1: And and that's the thing, the last kind of theme that we haven't touched on a ton, but that connects really well to, is uh, all about nukes. Uh, yes. Nukes are interesting, because the idea is you're never going to, like, shoot a nuke at someone and afterwards be like, that was, was a good thing we did that. <laughs> I'm,
0: glad, I'm glad we shot that nuke.
1: And this is a Japanese game developed by Japanese
0: people who grew up in the aftermath of the only nuking ever. Yeah. Uh Kojima was born in the sixties, in the middle of the Cold War, you know? And I don't know how much that affected him. Like I don't wanna I don't wanna say, you know, what Kojima was thinking, but But also he said nuke fifty
1: thousand times. Yeah, time.
0: like this game is about nukes. Yeah. Quite explicitly. You know, the last thing I think you see is is a count it just goes to a black screen and it talks about the actual amount of nukes that are that were in the world during that uh during that time period you know Mm -hmm. he's like he's like it's 2001 and there's this many nukes in the world and that's it like that's the last thing he wants you to take away from the game yeah is the idea that there's there's too many nukes and the whole dot idea of a metal gear is it's nukes that mercenaries
1: can get access to and have a a deployable nuke silo anywhere on the planet because you have a you have a walking robot that can that can <laughs> yeah. do it.
0: Yeah, the the Metal Gear in this game, the the big the big robot uh, has a rail gun, and that's what can fire the nuke. But and- but e- but even before that, like even in Metal Gear One and Two,
1: I just the idea was you can just have this thing walk to any place on the planet. Yeah, and it can fire nukes, and it doesn't have to be. We don't have to know where the nukes are. And, like, that's something we should think about. It's like, well, what happens when anyone can have a nuke? What would the world look
0: like? Yeah. and the same thing was true in 3 when they made the uh the, the original sort of concept of a Metal Gear, where it's like its only thing was that you can deploy it. It's kind of just a big tank, mm-hmm. and it acts like a railgun. It, 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 it just goes to a really high speed and just throws a missile, you know? Yeah. And they were like, well, with this... Because, you know, back in the Cold War, which is what 3 is all about, the biggest threat to the world was ICBMs, Intercontinental Ballistic Missiles. Yeah. And they could only hit some places in the world, depending on where they launched from. And the Shagahod from, uh, from Metal Gear Solid 3 could be deployed anywhere and launch a nuke from anywhere to anywhere. Yeah. You know?
1: And there's a character talking about, they didn't go with my design, that was a bipedal mech. Yeah. Their thing isn't as good as my thing because their thing requires a runway. Yeah. Right. I could just have
0: uh, a nuke robot in the mountains, and thus Metal Gear. Right? Yeah, it's what we're dealing with in in Metal Gear Solid One. But the idea of nukes in general—not just that they're the most powerful weapon in the world—like that's not what makes nukes scary. And I don't think that's what makes them thematically interesting in this game. It's the fact that a nuclear strike anywhere is inherently the most Impersonal military attack you could ever launch. Yeah, right. Because a nuke doesn't kill a target. No one firing a nuke could
1: possibly be a legend or a hero. Yeah, like Snake is.
0: And beyond that, like a nuke, a nuke can never be controlled. It can't kill just its target. You Mm -hmm. know, it's not a sniper rifle. It is a nuke. You will, if you ever launch one, you one hundred percent are guaranteeing thousands and thousands of civilian casualties yeah you know it is a thing that just destroys everything around it and it becomes a it it becomes a totalizing metaphor for war in this game that that's what war does we see it with sniper wolf's backstory we see it with gray fox's backstory i'm forgetting some bosses but the 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 idea is like all of all these people it's it's really
1: just mantis and vulcan left
0: yeah i guess uh mantis is a bit weird too but the fact is, every time we every time we turn to war, we see war in in this game. We see war as this hugely destructive thing, and that's all it does is it destroys everything it touches,
1: like a nuke. Yeah, and you know it's it's interesting too because it makes it makes the players kind of reflect on things. Like there's this whole you know hidden codec conversation you can have that's just really kind of about Chernobyl. And Chernobyl is I think one of those really interesting events where. I think the average American knows that it exists, knows that it happens, can understand why it's a super fucked up thing that's happened in the world's history, but I don't think a lot of people take time to think about it. Seems like you're pretty focused on that issue. Victims
3: of nuclear radiation are a sad thing to see, and I have seen a lot of it. I have seen more than enough of it. I was born... ...and raised in Pripyat, Ukraine. I was ten years old on that day, April 26, 1986.
2: You don't mean...
3: Yes, Chernobyl. That is the day that changed my life and thousands of other lives. I live just three kilometers north of there. 600,000 to 700,000 people were evacuated. Over 650,000 children suffered the effects of radiation poisoning. Between 1986 and 1993, 12,000 children died. My parents, and many others like them who helped in the cleanup, died a few years later from radiation sickness. We must rid this world of all nuclear weapons before they cause more misery before they destroy the delicate environment that keeps us alive. I will not allow this pain and anxiety to pass on to yet another generation.
1: So what the implication of that is, the danger, like, you
0: know, just the danger of having nuclear power, nonetheless weapons. Yeah, I, I, I will say uh, I'm highly in favor of nuclear power in general, and we should do that more, but Chernobyl is... An example of things going very wrong.
1: Yes, but it um makes me want to think about that and see if I agree with that. But, uh, uh I mean, are you just saying because it's a cleaner resource?
0: It's cleaner and, it, yeah. Is it a cleaner resource? Oh, yeah. By a lot. Like, nuclear power is, is incredibly safe. It's the safest source of power that we have. It is better than everything that we have. There's no way it's a safer power than sunlight. Well, sunlight or isn't wind. good enough.
1: And wind isn't good enough.
0: Yeah. We just, we can't reasonably power, we we can't reasonably draw enough power from those things. I mean, I
1: guess so, but, like, also all the things that we seem to be drawing enough power, that we have to draw this power for, seem to be killing everything. Yeah, but nuclear power doesn't really do that. Not just that, I mean, sort of like, oh, we need all this power to fund all these, like, Phones and crypto oh, well and a, the internet. <laughs> and that's a different conversation. Like, like 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 the thing that we're powering is an infrastructure we built that
0: maybe in of itself is bad. True. But also just like the ability to, you know, have electricity in your house. You know? Sure. Like you can't you can't build enough wind turbines or or solar panels to make everybody have enough electricity to, you know, record their podcasts or uh whatever else. Maybe our else podcasts does. are a moral disposition on the world. It's, and we should be considering that. Yeah. But I think if you abstract any human Man, we're really metal.
1: We're down the metal. This is exactly <laughs> how it works. You have to consider if everything you're doing is actually uh, been a bad thing this whole
0: time. Yeah, listener. Cons- <laughs> consider if you're a moral failure on the world. <laughs> so, um... It's fucking
1: stupid. You have to have that key card equipped whenever you want to go through doors, (laughs) am I right? Like I have the key card, just open the door. It's bad. Instead of making me equip it. We know
0: we know the technology is there. You know, it could just the doors could just do a check to see if you have the key card. But you have to have it equipped. That was a choice they made. It was a bad choice. It
1: was a bad choice. So there's a lot of gameplay stuff we could talk about with both of these games, and we will definitely touch on some gameplay and our fun and memorable lightning round section. But I think with Kojima specifically, it's just so much easier to talk about kind of what he's saying and what we can learn and, you know, what makes sense and what doesn't make sense, because it's just it's what makes him unique. It's what makes Kojima games unlike any others, for better or for worse. Yeah. Speaking of worse, Metal Gear Solid 2. <laughs> Colonel, there's definitely
2: another intruder in here besides me. That's not a possibility. Not a team. Looks like a solo job. One man. We may not know who he is, but he managed to take care of every sentry in the area. They're all out cold. Whoever he is, he's got some skills. We need to get an ID. But for now, you can take advantage of the situation and get to work. There's a terminal
0: in front of the elevator.
2: A node. Did you say nerd? Not nerd. Node.
0: Oh. Metal Gear Solid 2. Okay, so I had, I had a history with this game. I was fully prepared to go into this game and just love the shit out of it. Because I played it as a kid, and I would consider it one of like the defining games that turned me into who I am today. Like I wasn't that into games when I was a kid, but my, my parents, for I think like Christmas, bought me Metal Gear Solid 2. Because they don't understand how series work. Well, honestly,
1: for most games, that would be a fine choice.
0: Yeah, for sure. But the idea, you know, you just bought me the second game in a series because they don't understand. They didn't make a choice. They just didn't understand how games work. But I played the shit out of two and I loved it. It was a game unlike anything I'd ever played before. Coming back to it, it's not that good, (laughs) but it's still, I would say, a game unlike any other game I've played before. Unless that game is Mother Sold 1, then it's just like that.
1: I mean, it's not just quite just like that, but it depends on what you mean by Thematically. that. Thematically. Yeah, um, but I don't... Well, we'll talk about that more as we go forward, but I don't think... I think it has themes, it just doesn't uh, in- intertwine
0: those themes into the story like it does with 1. No, it just says them explicitly over and over and over again. Exactly. But uh, obviously the gameplay is very different, and the game itself is very different. And the main character is very different.
1: One thing that i say is a huge difference in how we're telling stories in 2, a little bit of it you can kind of give the game a break for. Because, like, a lot of things during this time period, uh, they had to redo a bunch of stuff because of 9-11. Yeah. Uh, so, one, the game was rushed, and there was definitely that going on. Which, But that happens with all games. The end of this game was going to be a ship crashing into the Statue of Liberty, so they just had to rework a lot of the game. Yeah. And because of that, among other problems, they took a lot of these kind of narratively driven scenes, or these exposition driven scenes, I guess is more accurate, and just turned them into Codex, uh, which is the little green screen where they talk to each other and it's just dialogue, no real cutscene. Yeah, basically a phone call. Yeah, and and, and Codex and One really work. Like, you're transitioning between, like, long backtracking areas, and you get a phone call, and the phone call has a really good story and really good plot, and it makes you, you know, think about the game, the world, the gameplay, and all that kind of stuff. You know, they, the codecs worked really well, right? But in this game, codecs are bad for three different reasons. One, they look bad. They just look worse. I don't know why, I don't know why we're in the future and we have worse looking codecs, but whatever. Uh, two, this game uses codecs to tell you the way, like, the buttons, like, as tutorial shit, yeah. way more than it does into one that it's infuriating. Yeah. Even the little bit it does in one can be super frustrating. Like, early in one, you get to a ladder, and they're like, duddle up, duddle up, duddle up, press the action button, climb up a ladder. And you're just like, I mean, I could have... I could figure this out. To go back to our very first cast, we talked about that, where it's like, you'd get to a tre- the first treasure chest in the game, and a menu would come up and be like, press the X button to open up treasure. Yeah. And it's like, you know, maybe you could just let, just assume that the person playing this game isn't, like, the world's dumbest person in the history of time. Yeah,
0: and that's a scripted codec, and uh, you might have used a ladder already. Like, yeah. Distinctly possible you've already used a ladder, but it's scripted for this ladder in specific. just feels stupid.
1: Yeah, and,
0: uh, and,
1: and that's in one, but in two, it happens so often, and it's, it's not always just control stuff, but it's, it's codecs that are just there to put a marker on your map. Like, there is exactly. no markers on your map, but, but they're like, you should be heading to strut C, you know? And if you call them back, it's like, okay, now start happen- hop- hopping to strut C. And it's like, the game already told me this through the story. Maybe they're trying to say, well, if you miss this, you know, here's a hint, but that hint's already built into Codex because you could always use Codex whenever you want. You can use a Codex just to call someone, and they'll just tell you something. So you can put kind of hints and helpful informations in there, and not force them onto the player. But the worst and most egregious uses of Codex is every time you meet a character who is kind of gatekeeping the plot, they're going to say, "Switch to nano machines," and tap their ear and then almost always 15-plus minutes yeah. of them explaining stuff, that makes you mostly more confused as the game gets later and later. Even if you understand everything they're referring to, how they're referring, how they connect, you're still just like, what the fuck are you even talking
0: about? Yeah, so much of it doesn't need to exist, and certainly doesn't need to be said in such explicit detail. Um, And for, for the first like half of the game... You don't know what's going on at all. So, the the idea of the, this game is you play Raiden, who is just uh, some uh, soldier guy, you know? He sh- he shows up to an offshore oil cleanup facility called Big Shadow. And he's effeminate. He is it's, effeminate. It's, it's, People it's, didn't like that.
1: It's funny, because it's used to make fun of him for the whole series. Yeah.
0: But don't worry, they give him a sword later. So he becomes a badass.
1: Yeah. Also, multiple people grab his balls.
0: Yeah. I mean, who wouldn't?
1: I mean... Don't. (laughs) Audience and... Straight up assault. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay, they're all war
0: criminals. Um, but you... He... Sorry.
1: I want to be very clear, you can't sexually assault war criminals... Like if you oh, see Henry
0: point. Kissinger on the street, you can't just cop a feel. If you see Henry Kissinger on the sh- on the street, you run because he's dead. Is he really? I don't know. I assume. I
1: hope so. Let's check if Henry Kissinger.
0: Please dead check real if right. Henry
1: Kissinger's dead.
0: I'm afraid if I type in his name, they'll be like, "You're not allowed to check the <laughs> dark information." Everyone, put in your bets now. Is Henry Kissinger dead? He's 98. Is he still alive? Yeah. Henry Kissinger, there's no death on, uh... Should be dead. On his...
1: He won a Nobel Peace Prize.
0: That's the worst thing I've ever heard.
1: Uh, for ending the war in the story, PCP. <laughs>
0: Incredible. <laughs> so funny. Okay, sorry, continue. But Raiden is there because terrorists have taken over the oil facility, and they have a nuke. I know, shocking. So they're they're basically threatening to launch a nuke unless their demands are met. Their demands are absurd, and they're absurd on the face of them. Like they they even talk about how like weird their demands are. Uh, but then we start meeting the we start meeting the terrorists known as uh, Dead Cell. Yes, and it's uh one of them's like Fat Man, who's just a big fat guy in a bomb suit wearing rollerblades, and his his entire thing is he just likes to plant bombs on stuff. He's a really fun guy. Um. We meet Fortune, who is, uh, carries this giant electric rail gun, and she cannot be shot by bullets. If you shoot bullets at her, they just curve around her. And she's just like, I just wanna die, and none of you can kill me, and I'm just gonna kill everybody I can see. And you, uh, you meet Vamp, who is a bisexual vampire, who I think is just there for the vibes, honestly. He doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't really have a plan or goal. Like,
1: they kind of make the joke where he just does vampire stuff. Like, that's why they call him Vamp. And they're yeah. like, oh no, it's because he's bisexual. Which apparently is slang for bisexual. A is thing it? That I it? Nev- yeah. I did not. Yeah. Learned it from this game. Huh. uh, I'm not going to use it. Yeah, it's, it Sounds bad. It's almost... There's also, like, not a lot of situations where you need slang for bisexual...
0: That's true. ...ality. That's true. This game was, what, 2001, so... Maybe you needed it more back then.
1: No, you would need it of less. We're more open with sexualities moving forward. I less open so in the past, especially Japan, which is a little bit more conservative yep.
0: about that stuff. Considerably more. Um, is there another member of Dead Cell?
1: I guess it's just it's just the four: it's Solidus, Fat Man, Fortune, and uh,
0: vamp. Vamp, yeah.
1: It's, that's the big problem with I, Dead Cell, in my opinion. Is it's 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 just not that many people, and there's not that many scenes with them. I really like them; they're all really interesting. <laughs> Fat Man has a lot of cool things. Fortune and Vamp have a lot of really cool scenes. But one, that gets to a point in the game where we're just talking about the plot. And they stop being there. Because they're not actually a part of the plot, right? Yeah. They're part of the gameplay to
0: make the game feel like Metal Gear Solid 1, which is also a part of the plot. (laughs) (laughs) Like, Fortune has, like, three scenes total. And she's the most important member of the team. Yeah, like you, you today were like, "Who's her dad?" And I'm like, "That's a
1: major story point." But yeah. it's also not that weird you don't know. It. Yeah, I haven't seen her in ten
0: hours. Yeah, because like you see her, you see her once, uh, it, kind of in the distance. She's getting shot at by guards. You know, mm-hmm. then you see her once when she comes down the elevator, and you have to fight her. And then you don't see her again until she shows up in the in the final cutscenes.
1: Yeah, and is just dying.
0: Yeah. Uh, And that's, those are many hours, it's like 10 hours at least between those things. So, you just kind of forget fortune exists until the end of the game. And this, like, Vamp, he just kind of shows up and is a boss fight. Like, I don't know what Vamp is doing. He has no business here. Uh, You kill him, I guess.
1: But before that, you see him, like, run up a pillar. And then before that, you see him... Like with fortune down he, the elevator, he
0: runs on water and stuff too. Yeah, he runs on
1: water and up a pillar. Yeah, I guess running up a pillar is less impressive Va- than running on water.
0: Vamp gets shot in the head and he's fine. Like yeah. multiple times throughout the series. Yeah, like we we're pretty sure Vamp's immortal, and you fight him again in four and Metal Gear Solid Four and stuff. But like, we don't know what Vamp's motivation is, why he's here, or what his goals are. So, you know, that's that's a quarter of the dead cells that just doesn't mean mm-hmm. anything in the slightest. And then Fat Man is just there to kill his former teacher who taught him how to make bombs, which is t- essentially just a side thing from, from, like, the main plot.
1: Yeah, but also then later you find out that he was actually working for the Patriots just to test Raiden's yeah, but, capabilities. But who wasn't, right? Uh, so uh, here's what we should do, I think, is this is sounding somewhat disorganized because Metal Gear Solid 2 is a disorganized mess. Yeah. Um, I can do it. Uh, do you want to try, you want me to try to summarize the plot in as few words as I can? Ooh. The actual plot. Did you say nerd? So, uh, one thing we did not mention is there's two parts of the game. One, you start a snake. One, you start as Ryan. When you start a snake, it's mostly kind of a tutorial, but there's kind of plot elements. There's a new Metal Gear. It works in the water. You're a snake to see, uh, to see that exist. And because you work for an anti-Metal Gear group now. The, the Marines own it. It gets stolen by Ocelot from the first game. Ocelot was just the antagonist from the first game who double-crossed you. But now his arm is half of Solid Snake's clone brother, Liquid Snake. Yep. Man, we're already getting confusing. <laughs> Whatever. Liquid Snake is Ocelot's arm. It will only come up at the very end. And also unclear.
0: Yeah, once how- at the beginning and once at the end.
1: How clear. I forgot to look at listen to the ending credit goddamn thing for the this game. We just beat it. Oh, Remember? that's a good point. I gotta look that up in a bit. Uh, keep going down the thing. So, uh, okay. Joey's trying to summarize the plot. Yeah. So, uh, pretty simple. New Metal Gears, they're dangerous. It's simple. Uh, government had them, evil guys stole it. Flash forward to the future. We're now riding. Nerd. He's effeminate and kind of a joke. He's supposed to, he's supposed to suck. He's on a mission where finding out in the first minute of his mission that on a support team is his girlfriend (laughs) who keeps asking about their anniversary, but he can't seem to figure out the anniversary, even though every player knew instantly when she said, do you know what day it is, Griden? I'll just keep asking.
0: (laughs) Wait until you remember.
1: So as you, the audience were dealing with somewhat, somewhat fallible events with South snake are now dealing with, why do I have this character? Why does nothing make sense immediately? Saw snakes around there, you collect some bombs, you do some stuff. All you know is the terrorists are there, they're holding the president hostage for like a billion dollars and stuff. Turns out as the game progresses, everyone's lying to Raiden all the time about everything. Regarding everything? Actually, the terrorists exist just to fight the Patriots. What are the Patriots? I guess just the Illuminati um Pretty kind much. of more specific and defined but it's illuminati shit they're, they're, they're the shadow government yeah they're the shadow government who owns the world they say specifically it's 12 people so they call them the lolly Lule a lot yep just because i think it's funny to say because a lot of characters like the lolly Lule send you and you're like what the fuck are we yeah. talking about <laughs> part of what makes this game so obfuscating. So you, in have learned that everyone's lying to you, that the Patriots exist, that the bad guys are to stop the Patriots, so maybe they're not that bad, but also they seem kind of bad because they're pretty pro-murder. They're just kind of yeah. murdering people. Also, another clone of Big Boss, Solidus, exists. Who cares? He used to be the president. I, let's just move on from that. <laughs> um Later, you find out that this whole Big Shell, which was a facility used to cover up the oil spill from the tanker incident that Snake was involved with at the beginning of the game, is actually to build a secret Metal Gear. You go, oh, they're building more Rays? No. They're building a giant Metal Gear card arsenal, which you never truly see, that is full of a bunch of Rays to protect it. Inside Arsenal is actually the real threat. Not the Metal Gear Ray, not the Metal Gear Arsenal, is a supercomputer that more or less does the plot of Good Morning Vietnam starring Robert Williams, where they take... All of the news and they censor it to influence society moving forward. So now we have a super computer that edits the information that goes out to the public that controls kind of what we think and feel about certain situations because we never truly know the truth. But while this is happening, there's a thing called the S3 plan going on. The Patriots (laughs) who have set up this entire thing to get people to try to stop them but really it's to make their plans go forward. So, okay, let's 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 be more specific because you know, you might start to get confused an hour you, ago. You want me to get into it? Um, well I can do this part. you you can get into it in a second. I believe in you. Uh but you think the Patriots plan is this AI and the the bad guys who are also kind of good guys because they're doing what you want them to do, but Solidus and friends are trying to stop GW the supercomputer but the Patriots don't care about that that is super tertiary to their plans really what they're trying to do is make a simulation to figure out how to build the perfect soldier so they make everything in the place that we're at big shell to be like shadow Moses where the events of the first tick took place so, we can make more solid snakes, so efficiently they can make more soldiers that are at solid snake's level. Now, you may be asking yourself, how could they efficiently recreate the scenario multiple times? I don't know, as you might have realized it's kind of stupid at this point,
0: yeah. Uh, but that's not the real reason.
1: Yeah, there's the societal. That only goes up
0: to the ocelot level of reasons. Yeah. Because right? that's what ocelot thinks. The real reason is uh, super confusing. Essentially, they were using, like, Raiden's experiences to shape their own experience. They were kind of, like, trying to... They're, they're, they're computers, right? It, well, the one we're talking to is a computer, GW. It's um, okay, for it George is, Washington. Yeah, Probably. Um, it does specifically. I mean, it would have to, but it is sort of trying to like make its own conscience consciousness. Mm-hmm. It's trying to like gain a soul, and it's doing that by observing Raiden through this uh, this whole simulation that it's, that it, they're putting him through. So, like every single person you meet in this game has a different motivation, and pretty much all of them are controlled by the person above them, who is eventually controlled by the Patriots. Think of it this
1: way. Metal Gear Solid 2 is like, if you took the most confusing and perplexing episode of Moffat era Doctor Who and added M. Night Shyamalan twist to it. <laughs> every three seconds. Cause it's always like, okay, I mean, I guess like, the AI's AI a person, but like, they just, they just want to hug or something. Oh, the AI's AI the master. Oh, the master is actually a Dalek. Oh, the Dalek is actually a Cyberman. Yeah. Oh, the Cyberman and the Daleks were made by the master, but the master was a Dalek and a Cyberman first because
0: time is recursive. I, You're like, I don't know what we're doing here anymore. Exactly. I was, I was thinking of a, a, a the, uh, Brick and Morty heist episode where Rick shows up to the to the high spot and and high spot's like you only think that cuz i made you think that and Rick's like you only think that because i made you think that and they just kind of keep going back yeah, and forth. Yeah. and that's how it feels because at the end of this game like, Fortune shows up and is like, I'm double-crossing you. And Solidus is like, no, I knew you were double-crossing me. I'm double-crossing you. And Ocelot's like, sorry, I'm double-crossing everybody. And ev- you're like, what's going on? And the Patriots are like, oh, we're using Ocelot to double-cross you, uh, right? And <laughs> Why? Why is everyone doing this?
1: And then Ogilukovic has just been dead on the floor the <laughs> whole time. Been
0: dead since the beginning of the cutscene. Yeah.
1: I'm here to barely be in the game. <clears throat> So honestly, I think there is literally no better description of the plot than anywhere else in the air than I just did. And I don't think I did a good job. I want that to be very clear. More or less, the functional things that matter with this game is most of the plot points are similar to Shadow Moses, but that's intentional because of super government plots. And we're mostly dealing with what amounts to
0: the impact of having the Illuminati. Yeah, but I think I think most importantly among all of it is this idea of like uh, of what we go back to in a, in one this idea of like being controlled. Yeah, you know? that they're all here for their own reasons, but their own reasons aren't even theirs. You know, and how do they?
1: I mean, they're, 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 I mean, there's an interesting point with that though, with the writingness of it all. Right, well, yeah. where writing doesn't have agency throughout the whole game, throughout his whole life, his whole life. Yeah, and functionally, you know, that's you don't really have agency in the game. You you have to. Depending on the game, obviously. But in that, you know, in games like this, you know, you have to do the things that they tell you to do. There's no sequence skipping in Metal Gear Solid, right? You play the game as the, uh, you go down the pathway as the pathway is intended. And then the game ends, It you know, it implies that Raiden has to kind of find out his own agency. And and not only find a life for himself, but also escape from, like, the, you know, the oppression of things like the Patriots that are actively trying to control every aspect of his life.
0: Yeah. Now is that interesting? I don't know who's to say. I am part two of my philosophy. How do we find how- I'm going to take a bath. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Tell me when you're done.
0: <laughs> how do we care about one another? Like what what is the mechanism by which we do that? Right? It's not enough to just say, uh, "Oh, well, let's let's go against the gods. Let's go against the things that control us." Right? But how do we do that? It's it's there's an essential nature uh, of being human. It is It is personal agency. It is a personal will. When God comes down to Job, He's like, "I am all powerful. I am everything. You do not question me." But Job is still able to do so if he wanted to. This is why I say Job's a coward because he had the choice. He was faced with God and he could have said no. Right? Yeah. This is if um I'm going to do a third aside here in the Superman comic book Red Sun in which Superman lands in Soviet Russia and is raised as a sort of the dictator of the world. He he literally creates uh, an absolute utopia. Well, not absolute. He creates a utopia in the world. He balances all the all the world's money um, he makes sure everybody has food and water and everybody is is able to live comfortably. If ever there's a problem, Superman can hear it. He can see it on the other side of the world and he will come to help. He will fix your problems. And yet, at the same time, there is a Soviet Batman who's running around blowing up museums and shit like that. And Superman's like, why on earth is this happening, right? And the the answer is because the people that don't fall in line with what Superman decides is utopia, he turns into, like, robots that become janitors. You know, he, like, he messes <laughs> with their brain and makes them Superman robots. And he's like, well, now they're productive members of society. They didn't want to be part of the world, you know? So I'm I'm only doing what I can to preserve the peace of the world. And Batman is out there blowing up buildings and trying to kill Superman. And Superman... It stands out, stands out over th- over everything. And he says, "I gave them a heaven, and they fight for the right to live in hell, because the world before him was bad. It's yeah. what we have today. It was just bad. Yeah, and I mean, if if you know, it, spoilers on the current state of the affairs. Yeah, the sorry. If you're listening uh, in the future, the world's pretty bad now. I'm sorry." Because it doesn't look like it's getting better.
1: One tiny aside: I, I've been listening to old podcasts this last couple of weeks. And I said it one in 2016, and they're just like, "This year was awful. It surely can't get worse." <laughs> it is just like not knowing about 2020 <laughs> and complaining about 2016 is oh so God. funny. Because I remember like how bad 2016 felt, <laughs> and you're just like, "Yeah, it just kind of clicks." Like that feels so dealable
0: now. They are like children; <laughs> they yeah. do not know. Oh my god! Yeah, that's insane. Uh, but the uh, but the fact is, hum- humans without choice are not humans. We cannot act morally without yeah, freedom. All, all we are is know? free will, and all uh, all Metal Gear Solid Two is about freedom. I bring up the Superman because like, yes, even if, even if everything was perfect, we, it's not perfect if we don't have the freedom to not be perfect. You know? Yeah. And so in Metal Solid 2, it's, it's just layers and layers and layers of people being controlled by everyone around them, by, often by themselves, by their past being redefined. Raiden was a child soldier and he was only a child soldier because Solidus killed his parents and uh, took control of him. He made him a child soldier. He was raised as a soldier and then he was raised to, to like do this whole weird simulation thing for, for the Patriots. He was raised to be here and to make, and to make all these choices. Like nothing he's ever done has been true. Even his girlfriend was an agent, a spy of the Patriots. Yeah. You know? Everything about him, they believe, pointed towards someone who is just gonna be, you know, docile, a, a, a perfect little soldier, you know? A docile thing. But like, People just aren't that, you know? And at the end of the day, Raiden breaks free of the system. That's the whole point of the ending, is Raiden breaks free of the system. And he meets Rose on the streets of New York. And she's like, let's just literally run away together, you know? Let's leave all this behind. Let's reject the battlefield and choose love. I I hate the Rose thing at the end. I like it. Uh,
1: Because, well, one... Uh do you know what he actually does right after too? Like what, what what does Raiden do with his life?
0: After <laughs> Solid Rising revengeance.
1: No, I mean but, like the 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 plot of it was uh he goes and gets Sunny, Olga's child. That's what Snake does. Nope. Oh, Ryden? Ryden does that. Ryden d- turns the cyborg ninja and spends his time infiltrating the Patriots and then rescues Sunny and brings it to Snake and Otacon. Okay. And I think that's interesting because he chose to keep fighting the Patriots. And the last thing he did, it was that, you know, the ethics of care thing you're talking about. You know yes. what I mean? This is the person who helped him during his journey, even though she was forced to do it. And the last thing that he can do for her is rescue her child. Yeah. Right? Uh And that, to me, fits more in the themology that we're talking about than the Rose stuff. Because the thing about the Rose stuff... Is uh it's very unclear what Rose even is. <laughs> yeah. To reference a very obscure internet thing, there's uh that Britannic sketch, uh humans are turning into horses. Oh yeah. Or uh yeah, uh uh eagles are turning humans into horses. Yeah. And there's a part of it where it's the whole bit of the sketch is he can't break up with his girlfriend honestly. So he comes up <laughs> with this elaborate lie, right? And he's like and, and a part of it is just like. But I've been with you all this time. That's a clone of me, and there's like another <laughs> clone of him that he just pushes into a room and at the end they all escape and, and she runs away and they're all alone uh and the clone comes out and he looks at him and goes, "What am I?" <laughs> <laughs> and that's all i can think about with rose (laughs) right Is like her looking at ryan in the street being like what am i was i was i a robot this whole time was i a sleeper agent did i have control over my mind and it's metal gear where the answers can be more complicated and stupid than you're used to in a later edition we're still dealing with Liquid Ocelot, Ocelot with Liquid at his arms, and then you find out that, no, he actually got rid of the cursed arm, but then hyp- uh, hypnotized himself to think that the arm was still real, so the Patriots wouldn't know that he knew that the arm was gone, so they would think Liquid is still in control, and not Ocelot. And that's as dumb as it sounds. No, we've all like played Elder Salt 4. It doesn't make sense it's it's too many suspensions of disbelief yes in a row and that's kind of like the whole thing with rose is one to talk about rose for a second let's do a whole rose aside well
0: let let me just say this real quick yeah sure on on what you just said right too many too many levels of disbelief Metal Gear Solid 1 the story is simply terrorists have a nuke and we need to stop them right and the 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 engaging portion of the story is just told through the interaction of the characters. Yeah. Right? I say stuff like, Psycho is, is, you know, one of the most evil people in the whole thing. And that's because, like, he takes control of people's mind. You know, he takes mm-hmm. away their will and, and stuff like that. It's important that the interactions that they have uh, develop the themes of the game. But the plot is simple, and that means that those interactions stand out and become understandable as metaphor. Mm-hmm. Metacrisol Two is so insanely complicated that all you can do by the end is wonder what the fuck just happened. And it's not complicated like the
1: other way things are complicated. Like people are like oh Game of Thrones is complicated, but also the the story we're telling does connect. It just has like a lot of proper nouns. Yeah. if that makes sense. Like that's that's not what makes it complicated, right? The, what makes Metacrisol Two complicated is uh. No one makes any sense, but then they try to cover the way they don't make sense by saying bullshit like, well, actually, I, you know, the nanomachines inside you will check your blood pulse. And if you do that, will force your death of the child of a character that you've seen for two minutes. And it's just like, it just, it's like, okay, these characters have reasons, but they just seem dumb and illogical and, like, I get it's, like, a secret Illuminati organization, but, like, they can just manipulate everything happening in every room ever. Yeah. Like, what, it what through what?
0: That's what it comes through, off through,
1: through how? You know, it just, it's, you just, it, your your brain is forced to try to answer too many questions. The game has no intention of answering. Yeah. Uh And to put that in perspective is they purposely make Rose and the team during her codex for Raiden. Because... In the previous game, you had mainly, uh, the Colonel and a character called Naomi. Colonel and Naomi are in what I would call the plot yeah, codec, sure. right? You, you, you call one codec and they play off each other, and they're the codec you hear the most. They're kind of your mission support, right? In the first game, Roy is a character. He, his niece is Meryl, so you see him Well, emotionally react to the mission as it's happening. It is implied that they have an old relationship. You know what I mean? Like, Snake is like, I thought we were friends at some point, basically, more or less. To Roy, he's a character and we can look at the world through him and it, it makes sense. And you also have Naomi, who is, you know, part of the mystery and the intrigue element of it, that she's like, oh, is she actually helping us? Is she backstabbing? What's her story? And it, and it, and it pulls you into the plot. What they do in this game is Roy's nothing to the point that he's literally a computer program, right? Also, the only reason he exists is to say stuff for Raiden and you, the player, to not trust. And then you have Rose, who I honestly just don't even know why she's there. Is it just a joke? It's really unclear. It it feels like it starts off as a joke, because it's his girlfriend saying do you know what day it is? And he's like, I don't, I, don't I really know. don't have time for you this. You know, and you're just like, the it's the anniversary. That's what it could be. Yeah. And that just keeps happening. And and sometimes it lands really well. There's a part where you have to freeze all these bombs all over the area and you like leave a room and and you get a call from Rose and she's like, right in why do you never talk to me? And he's like, I'm kind of busy. And like, it's just delivered well and it's kind of funny or whatever. But every time you engage with it, I get that part of Roy and Rose being your mission support is supposed to be right in being like, I can't trust these people. I can't listen to the people giving me orders. I have to figure out what to do myself. Right? Right. I get that's part of the storytelling, but when you're playing the game or experiencing the game, even if you know the the whole plot, the whole time you hear this stuff, you're just kind of like, what the fuck is going on? Why would, why why is writing so unobservant? Why, you know, why, why, why why would anyone act this way? It's, it just takes you out of the world so much where it's like, it becomes complicated because some of the stuff you're like, am I not getting it or is is it just stupid? Are we just doing, we just have a stupid plot point here. Exactly.
0: That's a big problem, like, with all the characters, is a lot of the characters do show this theme that we've been talking about, this, like, this, this theme of, you know... Agency? Yeah, basically agency, right? We see it in Fortune, you know, who's, her whole life's been controlled by her, her need for revenge and the fact that, you know, her family was, her father was killed and that's all been manipulated by the Patriots. And even her special power that bends bullets around her—that was a thing. That was literally just a, a machine they put on her. Yeah. That it was like it made electromagnetic magnetic waves that literally bent the bullets around her. Yeah. And stuff like that. But then Ocelot turns that thing off, and he gets in Ray, and he shoots a bunch of missiles at everybody. And Fortune stands up and puts her hands out, and literally deflects all the missiles. And like her thing <laughs> isn't working anymore. Yeah, my theory is Oslot just turned it back on. Sure. <laughs> it's just but, it,
1: it makes the most sense in the world we live in. No,
0: but the the, the idea behind, the real idea behind Fortune, because Oslo didn't turn it back on, is she decided what she was. She decided to be Fortune, whether or not the powers that be wanted her to be that. It was an ultimate moment of self-assertion on the universe and i'll say it's it's wild you know and, and, and it
1: works too uh, the agency thing with fortune because kind of like the, you know philosophically the ultimate expression of our agency at all times is deciding whether to live or die yeah and i mean like i guess it feels like she could just kill herself like i'm not sure if yeah she like throws a knife like he just bounces away <laughs> she's mechanics like, how fortune am i but um She's, you know, the whole time, every fight, she's just like, are you the one who's chosen to kill me so I can be with the others, you know? And she is just trying to die, but can't. And that's, you know, I think that's the purest way of expressing agency, in my personal opinion. well, maybe. Well, because it's the primordial thing. It's like, with like, you always have a choice. And it's like, no, I don't always have a choice. And it's like, you can choose to die. Exactly. always have that choice. It's your choice that, it's the one choice that almost usually can't be taken away from you.
0: Yeah, and that's why, like, Camus' Myth of Sisyphus is so compelling, right? Because the point of him writing that book is exploring the question, you know, should you live or should you die? If there's only one question truly to be answered, should you live or should you die, Camus is like, I am going to argue that you should live. You know?
4: dark so much!
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh. But also, fortune's given the opportunity to die. He he turns off the thing, also turns off her thing and shoots her. And she's... She's there, like, she could just die. Uh, It's such a great,
1: it's such a great scene because it's very classic Kojima where he shoots her, but he shoots her in the wrong heart. And he's like, "Ah, I forgot you were the term for having a heart on the wrong side of your body. I'll never, you know, it's like, oh, he never misses, but he forgot like a a thing, you know, Uh, and it's just, I don't know, it's just, it's one of those things where it's like, it just works because you understand who these people are. Yeah. And it's silly and nonsense, but it just fe- like, you feel the stakes and it like those are the sorts of things I
0: can suspend my disbelief. Yeah. It's that, it's that like pulp comic book feel to it where you're just like, ah, that's wild.
1: You know, yeah. So
0: yeah. She's the person with the heart on the wrong side. of Yeah. Course, yeah. You know? And like a cowboy just
1: shot a, a woman in a, with a rail, giant yeah. rail gun oh. that you thought
0: bended bullets up into this point, yeah. you know, through the heart. It's just like, Yeah, it just
1: feels great. Yeah.
0: But then, like, thematically, she learned that everything she was wasn't what she thought she was. And that's when Ocelot shoots her. And instead of just dying like she's been asking for this whole time, instead of taking that opportunity to just fucking give up, she stands back up. And, 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 you know, she doesn't say the words. But, like, through her actions, she says, no, I am what I think I am. You know? Mm -hmm. I decide what I am. And I decide when I die. She could take the missile, she could take the bullet, but she won't. She, she turns the missiles away and says, no, I decide, you know? And then Ocelot's like, I'm gonna go on my plane. Fuck, I'm being possessed by an arm ah! that I sewed on my body. Why, why did I do this? Why this did I dumb. pick an
1: arch villain that might possess me?
0: Oh, damn these recessive genes. <laughs> yeah.
1: So, well, one more thing I kind of want to talk about with, uh, characters and agency and how it's kind of reflected is, I think that the themes of two are problematic because they're not fle- reflected throughout the game. A lot of it's focused at the end by just saying it out loud. But I do like this plot. I th- and I definitely more than you do from our conversations before this. I think some of that's kind of covered well, where it's Fat Man and Peter Stillman, the guy who trained Fat Man, right? So it's kind of the tutorial part of the game where you just get to Big Shell as Raiden and they're kind of trying to show you the area and teach you stuff. There's a character who is. It's a very simple. Like I'm his math. You know, I was his master. I taught him everything I know about explosives. Which also begs the question of the audience: What does that entail? <laughs> right?
0: <laughs> like, here's how you build it. Cool. Cool. Now I know. Yeah. Wait. You don't have my philosophy. Oh, he's gone. Yeah. Yeah. The the, the philosophy. I was the- gonna say, don't build it.
1: Yeah. Like there's a bit. Where it's like he never that trick where he uses all the bombs that once they all go deactive. It, activates a big bomb yeah. i never taught him that and it's like good because <laughs> like not as not a technique i'm pretty comfortable with someone inventing <laughs> yeah so it's just you know they just they, they they make explosive sound like it's like i the jedi fucking arts in kind of kind of a way that i actually think is fun instead of it does break my suspension of disbelief but in a way that i appreciate for metal gear but an interesting thing about it is there's a part where there's big bombs at the struts of two of the thing that they didn't find, and Stillman is like, "I'm gonna go out and do that bomb, and they're like, "You can't stillman you you couldn't walk earlier, you have a cane and you're old, and you 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 lost your ability to walk and in a bomb, and he's like,- N- you know no, that's a lie like i I fucked up trying to a bomb, and then a bunch of people died, and I couldn't live with that death, so I chose." to pretend I was crippled. But I'm not, you know? Yeah. I just didn't want to face the responsibility of my own actions. And I, I chose this path, you know? Uh And then he goes, you know, runs to the strut, uh, puts the bomb out, and dies trying. I mean, like, he does... No, he actually doesn't. He fails to put the bomb out.
0: Yeah, it was something like... Like, him exploding that bomb was necessary or something like that. It was it was considered sort of a noble sacrifice.
1: Yeah. I mean like he did well, sort of. He like it was a trick. It was a trick. He, got he fucked up and he let the bomb explode, but he could at least explain to Ryden what not to do. Yeah. And not have both of those structures explode. Yeah. So yeah, so like part of the facility got destroyed, but the whole thing didn't come crashing into the ocean. I thought it was interesting because it it reflects that story of agency. But it also it's I think it it actually does work with the themes of Metal Gear as a whole or whatever, because it's actually a character-based story of someone we come to understand and realize who they are as a person. It's not that much characterization, but knowing stuff like I lied about being crippled because it was so hard for me to face my own responsibility is way more character development than we get with characters like Fortune and Vamp that have slightly more screen time. All we know about Fortune is she, like, wants to die because other people she knows die. So all we know about Vamp is he fucks both genders. Right? Like, you know, all we know about Solidus is Eyepatch? I don't know. (laughs) Like, honestly, honestly, like, these characters don't have much. All we know about Ocelots from the first game. Yeah. Like, all we know about Rose is less than what I started with. Um, (laughs) A lot of the characters say their backstory. They say... Where they're from and, and and what their early life was like, and it really just makes you more confused. I think the, these are the parts of the game that kind of should be more prevalent into to make to feel more like a kind of digestible story instead of kind of like big sticky mess.
0: Yeah, I agree. Metal Gear Solid Two is a big sticky mess and not a particularly good one. Like it, it's too hard to even get to the themes of what they're trying to say in the game, which is why it's so much worse than than 1 and why 1 is so good. Because like I said before, it's just, it's just a character story. It's there to tell you to be kind to one another, to make your decisions and uh, to be good people actively. 2 says the same thing. It's like 2, its idea is you decide who you are. And you, like, you're going to have to do that at some point. And if you don't, other people will decide for you and your life will be worse. Everyone's life will be worse because you're not making choices. And the idea behind both of them is to sum up what I've, what I've been saying this whole time, that to be a moral being, you have to care about, you have to care about one another. You have to do actions for other people or for yourself in a, in a, a way that's like you know self care that kind of thing and on top of that you have to do it active you have to exercise your own personal agency to make those things happen or people will control you the theme the theme of one is like nukes are bad because they will destroy everything because they they remove people's agency the governments that control these nukes are bad the power structures that creates wars and nukes are bad. The only thing that can be good in this situation is choosing to reject those things. And the same thing happens in 2, where it's this mess, this convoluted mess of double crosses and people making plans for other people, and at the end of the day, you just have to say, I reject all of that. I reject everything that everybody was doing, and I make my own path. That's the point of these games, as difficult as it may or may not be to get out of the second game. I would say that the one, the big difference
1: between one and two in conveying these same themes is the difference between showing and telling. Two just says these themes and you have to accept it because a character said it to you in a video game. Even with using the same tools they have available, which is just a character talking at you, they can drastically convey these messages in different ways. So in Metagross Solid one, you'll have a character like Natasha, who's optional codec material, who is a Russian woman who's a weapons expert and if you just keep calling her she'll talk about things like chernobyl and uh, nukes and the danger of them and you get it from someone's perspective where it feels close to them where the game isn't saying you have to consider this right it is hidden in the game's text if you choose to engage with it and it just naturally adds to your understanding of the world around you, if that makes sense. Like the more you engage with the optional narrative and story hooks, the more it feels like it's kind of a deeply embedded message. Whereas in two, it feels like the first half of the game is kind of like weird jokes and in mystery bullshit. Like, ooh, what could happen next? And the end of the game is just characters monologuing about the specific plot, which probably will get negated by the next monologue happening two minutes
0: later. Yeah, two minutes, 15 minutes later. 15
1: minutes later, yeah, after the monologue. Two minutes after one monologue ends, another one begins. That's a fair, a fair
0: yeah.
1: uh, comparison. And I, the other thing I was going to say about these games as a whole is it's been interesting kind of, look, after doing our Resident Evil 2 and 4 cast, looking at Metal Gear Solid 1 and 2, because they have a lot of similarities in the changes between those sets of games. So I think both Metal Gear Solid 1 and Resident Evil 2 are really story, atmosphere, and narrative focused. One game succeeds way more at story than the other, and one game succeeds, uh, I would argue, more in gameplay than the other. And they both have different flaws and in, in, in things going into their game, but the whole game is packaged kind of consistently with the themes, gameplay, and feeling they're, that they're trying to create. Whereas 4 and 2, I think, are too focused on the things that they thought did well. People were very high on the story in Metal Gear Solid 1. So they put so much story on it, it obscures the actual game. And people liked Resident Evil's gameplay so much. They put so much gameplay, there's really nothing else in the game. <laughs> and I think both of these things are a somewhat uh the hubris of the designer, focusing too much on what they thought worked in their previous game, and not the process that led to the creative ideas that they made. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I think 2 definitely has some heart in it. And so does 4, like Resident Evil 4. Both of these games have heart in it. But they're lost too much in trying to make what they think people liked about the game, I think, versus trying to make a game that works on its own. The love
0: guy, can we just lightning round so I can go back to Dark Souls?
4: <laughs>
0: yes. <laughs> yes, let's do a lightning round. Uh, so uh, I know we have, before before we start that, I know we haven't talked much about actual like gameplay or anything like that. We kind of wanted to save a lot of that stuff uh, for the lightning round because there's not so much to talk about and it's all kind of quippy, so we're just going to have fun with it here yeah. instead of engaging too heavily. I. It's as we said before, I think playing these games is about understanding their themes and engaging with their... Uh, their plot and characters more than they are about the actual gameplay. So here, we're going to have some fun with it. So first thing, when I play a game, one of the nice things about a game is I can
1: like, turn on a TV show, turn on a podcast, and just relax and just enjoy <laughs> the games. Metal Gear won't let you do that. I was playing Metal Gear Solid 2, and they just interrupted me every couple of seconds. And it got to a point where before, near the end of the game... I had eight minutes left on a podcast. in an hour and a half later, I still wasn't done with those eight minutes. Because an hour and a half was cutscenes and eight minutes was gameplay. It was preposterous. So I got, I got to a point in the story and I go we're gonna do dark souls soon i'm gonna just turn on dark souls and play dark souls i have done nothing since <laughs> until today where i had to go and finish two which i've already beaten a bunch of times but i had to go and finally finish two because i was just, i've been dark souls one three times and am 75 percent of the way through dark souls 2 while playing metacross solid 2 because i just Wanted to play a game where people shut the fuck up. Yeah. Just never... If anyone has something to say with me, cool. I didn't know what
0: you meant anyways, and it doesn't matter. (laughs) And just keep playing. Exactly. There's a character in 2 named Emma Emmerich, or E.E., and she is fucking terrible. I want to compare her to Resident Evil 4, as as you point for, Because... In Resident Evil 4, we talked about Ashley, who is, you know, you literally lead around by the hand. Well, not, actually not literally. You just, you lead her around. Yeah, and- you just
1: tell her what to do, yeah. like, how all escort missions, like, <laughs> I, why, why do I have to hold your fucking hand? Why are these, why are
0: these so bad? Can I
1: use my words? Do we not communicate? Can you
0: just follow me? Yeah. Yeah, and so Ashley's great, and she has, like, a lot of character, right? In, in most- Relative to the rest of the game. Yeah, everything is relative in... The, in- Resident Evil 4. Uh, In Metal Gear Solid 2, there is a character, E.E., Emma Emmerich, who is Otacon's sister. And she's like the... She she tipped them off about the tanker. She uh, is... I think she made GW, like, she wrote the code for GW, which is insane, because she's canonically 18 years old. Yeah, it's, uh, I'm
1: super hacker girl, which makes sense, because my brother is Otacon, and, Yeah, but also... Know, don't you know how, like, every brother and sister combo you know, they're, like, exactly good with the same thing. Yeah, but they Classic were... Classic siblings. Yeah,
0: but they weren't actually siblings, they were adopted, too, so, like, that didn't work out. They were, they were from two different parents. Um... No, I think they're step. It makes the, uh... They, they shared a parent, I think. Yeah, um, yeah they were step-parents. Yes. Yeah. But, uh...
1: Makes the drama later worse.
0: Well, no, they were, they were, they were from two different parents. Um, they, they are step siblings.
1: Yeah, but they have,
0: that means they share a sibling. No.
1: That's how step works. No, they were from two different marriages. Yeah, the, they have the same dad, different mothers. Then there wouldn't be step children.
0: I don't know. It, it's irrelevant. Yeah. Um, Like, like, Regardless,
1: one of the things you're saying is wrong. Their use of step, or I, if they're step or not.
0: I don't care. The point is... I care. The point is they're they're not blood relatives, I guess. Um,
1: It it, it, yeah, it kind of matters if they are half blood
0: relatives. <laughs> it kind of matters. Oh, so No, it, you're right. Step isn't blood. <laughs> I'm wrong. I know. Oh, Did you? Yes. This whole time, that's why I was saying it. So, Emma is his stepsister, and she almost drowned... God, do I have to go through this whole backstory? She almost drowned in a pool, and her dad jumped in to save her. She was calling for Otacon to help her, but Otacon was busy fucking her mom. And that kind of broke up the family after that.
1: I literally think it's dumber than that. I think the dad was in the pool... To kill himself, because oh, he knew about Oticon and his wife. Yeah, I know he did kill himself. And then he's in the pool, and I think Emma goes in, and then almost dies, but the dad does die. Yeah. Uh, and then she comes out, and she was vaguely aware of the thing. Like, I think she saw Otacon fucking the mom, but it's all repressed. Maybe. You know? Uh, and then it just creates, and it's 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 just fucking soap opera shit, yeah, where it's just like Otacon's like I was intimate with her mother, like as he pushes up his glasses, <laughs> and you're
0: like, How, yeah, you're fucking Otacon. the The reason uh I bring up all this backstory and everything is because it makes it seem like Emma would have a character, but she doesn't she has no bearing on anything. what she does is deliver a virus that is that essentially disables g w that's it what her real purpose narratively is is to show up and make Otacon sad and then die so that Otacon can be more sad but he can man up about it that's it they fridged Emma yeah speaking of which I'm gonna go get a beer
1: (laughs) (laughs) I miss you
0: they replaced Emma with a bird after she died. And the reason I bring this up is because there are exactly four female characters in this game. And this is what we kind of meant when we were talking about uh, certain things about Kojima. You start to realize over time, one is Emma who only talks about her brother and how much she hates him or wants to be friends with him again. One is fortune who is like an actual character, but mostly just talks about her dead dad. You know, one is Olga who only talks about how her, her child is being held hostage by the Patriots. Also how her dad was killed by Ocelot. Yeah. And her, <sighs> Snake killed it. She thinks Snake did but Ocelot did. Yeah. Uh, and who's the fourth? Rose. I, same right, thing. I right. was like,
1: who's the fourth one? I was
0: like, I was like, I know there is one. But that's cause she's kind of a robot. But Rose's entire personality is there to talk about Right. So there is not one female character in this game that has any agency outside of themselves and who doesn't essentially just talk about either a man or like motherhood, you know, just being, being a woman in general and they have mostly no purpose, right? Like none of them really have an impact on the story aside from just being side characters. Yeah. And, but Emma's the worst of it because she literally just gets fringed.
1: Yeah, and and there's a couple of parts of that. Uh, one, she's like weirdly sexualized and she's 18, and 18's like super uncomfortable for me because if you're saying someone's 18, it's like you knew it was creepy, yeah. but you try to get around it in the worst way possible. Or the, what I would say, the laziest way possible.
0: Uh, she's of age. Yeah. it's Le- fine. Let's be
1: clear clear. The worst way possible fire emblem perspective, where it's like <laughs> they're not underage; they're a thousand year old dragon.
0: Yeah, don't worry, they look like a preteen. Yeah.
1: So yeah, every character like Snake says he wants to ask her out on a date. They talk about her playing marriage with Otacon as a child. She's like, I'm cute and smart to, like, write in and just, like, a really kind of, like, out of place scene to be doing that in, you know? It's just, like, all like that. You show up and she pees herself like Otacon does. But I extra didn't like it this time because after very, er like, close to that scene is someone peeing on your head. And then also close to that scene is you listening to Johnny take a shit during an important cutscene. There's one character in every Metal Gear game called Johnny. He just shits graphically, and it's an Easter egg in all the game. Yep. And it just at that point, I had to really consider, is like, do we have to really talk about, like... Is Kashima like, doing a weird fetish thing here? Yeah. <laughs> right? And then, like, an 18-year-old girl is, like, pissing herself in a locker. It just made
0: me feel uncomfortable. It's things to think about.
1: Uh, Yeah, don't... But don't also because yeah just don't don't need to li- live in this weird and sad of a world. But also with E.E. is it's not even so much the fridging of her, which is always I you know I I'm very critical, but it's pretty common in you know male written media, <laughs> yeah. right? It's just how like even if we're gonna say like actually fridging is good, but like if we, <laughs> if, we, if, we if we gave a false premise even what are we doing here? Why is this such a fucking soap opera? Yeah. Why did we go from, I slept with her mother, and and then her dad killed herself, and we have a tragic family backstory, and you're just like, Otacon, is this your only scene in the fucking game, is talking about your sad, tragic backstory, instead of like, showing a character beneath this backstory, so the things that you're saying have more impact, onto who you are, and... This doesn't even betray the worst thing about EE is, the end of the day, when you replay Metal Gears, you're probably going to skip the cutscenes the second time you play through. Because the gameplay throughout all these games is generally fun. But you can't forget about EE because her gameplay is phenomenally bad. Not only do the first time you get her, you have to start an escort mission, which is almost always bad. You're doing it underwater. Yep. You're with, And she is a smaller O2 gauge in an area that's like... Kind of hard to navigate control wise, and everything looks the same yeah and so after you get out of that, you do like maybe two rooms where there's guards in it, and you can just leave her by the elevator or whatever room you walk through, just murder everyone real quick, come back and get her it's It's really all you gotta do to uh a sniper section where you have to shoot stuff snipe stuff to protect her. Which is also garbage gameplay because it takes so fucking long. Yeah, because it starts off you're like, okay, I see what you're doing, and then you call Snake, and Snake starts shooting stuff inside your scope, which is kind of cool in flavor, but like, it's another five plus minutes, if not more. Yeah. of you just slowly following a girl slowly walking with a sniper rifle, and it's just it's just not interesting. It's just it's not it's not challenging. It's not engaging, and if you lose. I did, I, neither of us lost, I think, our, no. our, our first try.
0: But it, but n- the mere idea of losing <laughs> fills me with stress. Yeah. Because of how much I would have to do. <laughs> I have lost before because you do have to do it again. And, uh, yeah, also, like, Vamp, who you've already beaten at this point, just shows up and, like, takes EE e. hostage while she's out on the pontoons. Yeah. And it's the easiest thing in the entire world. You literally just put your sniper rifle on his head and pull the trigger about four times. Uh, you you really can't hit ee. She can't. She it's pretty hard for her to get in the way. Yeah. So like, I I would literally was like, bam, bam. Oh, he's she's just not in the way. Bam, 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 and uh, it just killed him instantly. You yeah, know? and, and wasn't is, even a fight.
1: This is another thing that they do kind of in Metal Gear Solid Two a lot that I find kind of a weird choice, where it's like one second of gameplay. Like, um, oh, they grab. Here's a cutscene. They grab ee. Shoot this guy in the head, and you're like. Okay, I'm done. Like, yeah, we're back to cutscenes. Yeah. And, uh, another example is there's a part where they're like, oh, a guys coming towards you. Pick up your AK so you can go in disguise. And a guy's like, you have like t- t- 10 seconds to just take your gun out and put it into your hands. And then it goes right back to cutscenes. That doesn't count as gameplay. Yeah, exactly. Like, what are we doing? Like, this is like, I already can play that your cutscenes are too long, but the solution isn't like, and you pressed a button. Yeah. Back to cutscenes. Not gameplay.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The, the other thing I, I really don't like about two specifically is that the gameplay mostly, like, in one, the gameplay is a lot of figuring out rooms, how guards move, and how you can avoid them. Yeah. It's, it's stealth gameplay, right? It's a, it's a very uh, rudimentary form of stealth gameplay, but it is stealth gameplay. Yeah. Whereas in two, except for like one or two rooms that I can think of, it is almost entirely how quickly can you shoot a guy in the head? Yes. And that
1: that's it. And, and that's a difference. That that can relate to another point I have in a second, but it's because you can go into first person mode yeah. and pull out your gun in two. You could not do that in one. One, you just kind of have to aim and shoot. So you can't, you can't, you know, quietly take out guards or whatever. So yeah, aiming your gun and shooting someone in a room or shooting a camera that's looking at you kind of just nullifies almost all the threats you could possibly face. The way they try to make up for it is have guard patrols check the dead bodies, which, so you have to like drag the bodies into lockers if you don't want patrols to come by. Yeah. Or you can just leave and exit rooms, and it resets the timer on them calling. So you just call everyone, leave the room, go in, explore the room. Oh, someone's going to check soon, leave the room, come back. And it's just like, it's just not that engaging, and it's just, you don't look at each room as a puzzle. You look at, it, you just count the guards and and, yeah. and
0: mow them down. And I got frustrated because the beginning of of 2 is tanker. Which is so fun. It is a little sandbox to learn all the mechanics of the game. Yeah, we are a snake and not ride it. Yeah, you're your snake. But it's it's a lot of, like, every time you take out guards, there's, like, lockers nearby and stuff. You should hide the bodies. You should work your way, like, efficiently and use the the skills that they give you. You know? Use the tools. Whereas everything past that is just mostly boring rooms with, like, maybe two guards in them. Most of the time, the guards are j- You can literally just shoot them in the head, and if you shoot everybody in the head... It's done. They also carry radios on them, and you can just shoot their radio, and that's it. They just you can can't do them too. Yeah, you can. No yep. I don't know. But <laughs> guess I should have been doing that. Yeah, but just it's,
1: kidding. It was never a challenge.
0: It's not. A sh- that's the thing. It's like not even necessary. You just, you just do it. Sometimes, you know. Oh, uh, half the time the auto aim just goes to the radio anyway. If if you're shooting them from behind. So, like, the game just devolves into, and just, like, shoot the guys, and it's rare that you ever encounter you encounter a puzzle or an area where you, like, even have to move the bodies.
1: And I have a big, like, Metal Gear pet peeve, which is there's a remake of Metal Gear Solid 1 for the GameCube called Twin Snakes, and they use the Metal Gear Solid 2 combat engine and graphics engine to run it. And I think that game is a hot fucking abomination. Yes. The big reason is all the cutscenes show a fundamental misunderstanding of what Mega Solid 1 was about. And all the cutscenes are trying to make Snake to be like, look at how much of a badass he is. He just kicked a missile out of the air from a helicopter. And you're like, what the fuck? Quentin Tarantino doesn't write action scenes this dumb. What are we doing? (laughs) But the other issue that I think is maybe not as bad, but is 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 definitely just as corrosive to the core experience of what Mega Solid 1 is, is you have the same controls, and not only is it Microsoft One or Microsoft Two, those controls don't even super work in that game. They certainly don't work in a game not designed around it. So now you can first person everything. Every single room in Microsoft One is just uh using a silenced weapon and then killing everyone and walking to the next room. Every camera that you're supposed to avoid by using position strategically... Or just chaff
0: grenades or something.
1: Yeah, chaff grenades or whatever. You just aim your gun up and do stuff. So you just spend the whole game with a sil- silenced SOCOM, and it just, just trivializes everything. There's just no thought. There's no, you know... There are definitely rooms in Metal Gear Solid 1 on our playthrough that we did together... Where you're like, oh, I died a couple times in this room. You know, I have to figure this room out. Yeah. Right. And it it feels good. You like you like figuring out rooms in one, and that doesn't really happen so much in two. And right when you get to the point of the game, you think that there should be a difficulty spike and stuff might be more interesting. Uh Gameplay stops happening. Yeah. And like, it's not even an exaggeration. Like. Uh, after you fight the Harrier, which I think a lot of people would look at the halfway part, point in the game, there's not a lot of tangible gameplay. No. Like, just not at all. And they give it's you... A sh- like a shocking
0: lack of tangible yeah. gameplay. It, they give you so many weapons, and you get to use, like, none of them, really. Yeah, they don't matter. You, you don't be, care. Every weapon you care about you get, in assault 1. You get two different assault rifles at the exact same time. Yeah. You get the AK and the M4 at the exact same time. And there is no difference between them. And it's like, why? Why do I just have two assault rifles? And I don't really use either. You don't use them at
1: all. Like, the AK can get a silencer. It should be one of the best guns in the game. But by the time you get a silencer, it's right after the Harrier fight. Yep. So where the fuck are you using it? Everything
0: just dies already. I didn't even get it. I didn't need it. Yeah, yeah. Like, because after you do that, you go talk to Ames, and then you go to the president. And that's the end of the game. Yeah, because yeah. once you talk to the president, your gameplay is over. Yeah, you have E. Oh God, you then get captured.
1: Yeah. Oh, sorry. You have E. You have E and a vamp fight. It's not very good. You then get captured, and then you saw what we did today, which yeah. is you fight twenty-five rays, two sets of rooms that you're just gonna do with a sword because they just gave you a yeah, they, sword. They give you a sword, and, and then a boss fight with ninjas. a sword. So like, yeah, guns are bad. Yeah. You just stop, I mean, you know, in the real world and in this game. But uh, guns are bad, you know? And uh, so you just never going to really engage with it. You know, you have a fucking rocket launcher. Like, who cares?
0: You've got a grenade launcher. I don't that's think that's I what ever used say. it. Sorry, grenade launcher. Yeah. yeah. I don't think I ever used it. Yeah,
1: I used it in the vamp fight just because I wanted to use it because I
0: had it for Sure, so yeah. Why not? Um,
1: you get a tranquilizing sniper rifle,
0: like, late in the game. Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, I guess you can never, snipe vamp.
0: Never going to use that.
1: I, I I guess it's literally just there so you can keep a no kill run when you do EE. Yeah, I think it's literally the only reason. It's I think there. that's it. Yeah, because yeah.
0: that's the only time you are mandatory using a sniper rifle. Yeah, that to kill people. There's one you have to shoot a bunch of, uh, s- uh simtex controllers. Yeah,
1: the control. Yeah, C4. Yeah. Um. Uh. What would you say about that? Like, I don't of the freezing the bombs, the shooting the Simtex, those sort of gameplay things that they're not really sneaking gameplay things into. But they're kind of like,
0: you know, like use the stuff on you to solve different sorts of puzzles. I thought they were kind of fun just because they, yeah, they are little puzzles to solve. You get, you, it tells you uh, kind of in this area of a room, there's a bomb. Mm -hmm. And you have to find out both how to get there and where the bomb is. So like, it's like, okay, you go into the bathroom and you see where it's supposed to be. And you're like, I don't see it. But it's like up in the light. You know, yeah. you have to go in there, and then one's like a, a puzzle of like pipes you have to crawl under and stuff, and you 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 have to go away you don't expect to be able to yeah. freeze it and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, um, and like and even, like through the Simtex, there's like one hidden behind a flag. Yeah, that you like is the way it's flapping. You can kind of see behind it. Yeah, uh,
0: there's also one a uh, uh, behind and above you. Yeah, so like you'll snipe. That all That would be so long.
1: I was embarrassed. I, know, I know about it. I know.
0: But then, uh, even because it's during- more on different difficulties. I don't know if you know that. Yeah, I know. Like,
1: you get, like the higher difficulties. There's just like so much simtex. Yeah.
0: But even during the Fat Man fight, when he's placing simtex around, sometimes he'll he'll there's like these little cargo crates everywhere, and he just puts bombs on them, and you have to freeze them during the fight. What? And sometimes he will put one under the cargo crate, mm-hmm. which is fun because like you see him go over there, and you're like, you only have like 30 seconds to do it. You're like, where the hell's the bomb? Where's the bomb? And you have to get on your fucking stomach and get down under there. And they're like, oh, there's the bomb. Like, he hid it from you during the fight. That's fun. Yeah. So,
1: uh, you want to do a quick boss rundown? Yeah. you got, like, 20 yeah. seconds on each. So,
0: uh, uh, Olga. Olga's a lot of fun. I like that she is kind of a tutorial boss, but she also teaches you to use your environment. You can shoot out lights. You can knock the, the tarp yeah. away and stuff like that. And she's an interesting character.
1: And it's, a, it's a pretty classic Metal Gear fight. Two people on the other side of a thing they can't cross firing guns at each other. Yep. It's very simple. Uh, the
0: second one is Fat Man. Fat Man. I love Fat Man. He's super fun. I don't like the way he moves a lot. He's too fast and too difficult for a game that's like this slow to aim. But you get to use all your all your toys like C4 and stuff. I, I think it actually works because he's that fast. Because
1: when he's when he's skating... You're you don't use first person. You use the the just shoot as you run. Yeah. So like a, as he's running, you're just like da da da
0: da, and then you go into first person and shoot him. I had a very it kind of shows you like the value of one way of shooting and the value of the other way of shooting. I had a very hard time doing that. So what I did was just find out where he was going and I would place uh, claymores everywhere. Yeah. So every and that's cool
1: that there's multiple ways to fight him.
0: Yeah. And then sometimes like during a fight, he just like stops and does like weird stuff. He'll like dance. He'll just kind of. He'll just kind of do a little dance and and skate backwards in a circle. And you can shoot him while he does that. He knows you can shoot him. And you're like, it's honestly, like, what the, what the yeah. fuck are you doing, It's man? a fat
1: guy in roller skates. It's just funny. He says, laugh and grow fat. And yeah. even after you beat him, there's a bomb underneath him. And, like, that's fun and interesting. Yeah. And uh, if you don't, tr- if you trank him, you get his dog tag. If you don't trank him, you still get Peter still- Stillman's dog tag. Yeah. His, his old master that he beat. Cool shit. The rest of them will be shorter than Fat Man. Uh Fortune.
0: I barely remember it. I hid behind a box until she left. It's a tight uh, yeah. fight. Not even, not even a boss fight. Just kinda hide. Um Harrier. The Harrier I'm not a huge fan of. It's yeah. better than the Harrier in one. It's a hind. The Hind in one. Um but snake it- is
1: there throwing stuff at you, you just shoot missiles into a plane. Yeah. Solidus yells Dye! And a it's lot. the first time you see Solidus and apparently he's just Doc Ock from Spider-Man.
0: Yeah. But it's like you can really just hide behind anything and shoot a rocket and like just keep doing that until the game yeah. until the fight's over. Vamp. Uh Vamp, I l- enjoyed the fight to be honest. He's he has like a lot of interesting mechanics. You have to he dives down into the water and you can toss a grenade to get him to come out. Yeah. But and then you're like dodging knives he's throwing at you while he's running around up on top of the rafters yeah. of the room. And, and you, you can't—you
1: have to use first person to shoot him.
0: Yeah. Otherwise so it's an in-depth fight, but it's not challenging, and that's kind of nice in a way. I kind of—I like it less and less over time. I don't really think
1: it's an in-depth fight. It has—it does have a lot of mechanics, but unlike other Metal Gear fights, like later in the series, you don't kind—you of, don't see how those mechanics kind of tie together and like. Work in the gameplay sense of it, but also work in the storytelling sense of it. You know, like oh, vamp can read your muscle movement, so you have to go to first person mode. Where I guess he can't do that anymore. That doesn't make anything. That doesn't make any sense. He's vamp. Yeah, he just says at the
0: beginning. Normally, I can read people's muscle movements, but not you. Yeah, that's it. And then you just shoot him. Yeah, it's just I don't
1: know. There's just like weird stuff in that where it's like. It just, like, almost holds together, but doesn't quite. And it's just, like, if you put against any of the boss in Dark Assault 3, which we didn't really talk about, obviously, but, like, that game has good boss fights, it's just, it'd be worse than all. Yeah. I think. 100%. Um, and then, finally, Solidus. I like Solidus a lot. Yeah. It is a sword. It's fun. They're not great sword mechanics, but they're good enough. Yeah. It's, it's,
0: it, like, they don't, he doesn't hit very hard, so, like, it's kind of hard to die. Yeah. You know? Uh, as long as you can land your hits, like, you're pretty well guaranteed to win that fight. So, it makes it fun because it, the mechanics are bad, but they're kind of fun to to play with anyway. And he's just, he's not so hard that he's going to kill you. I, I forgot another boss fight. Uh, Fighting 25 rays. Fuck that.
1: Yeah, it's boring. You just, you just shoot them. It just takes a long time. Like, most of the times you get hit are because you just like don't feel like dodging missiles because this is taking so long. Exactly. That you just want to get your hits in. Like, you just care more about your DPS than avoiding damage, because you're just like, I have to shoot everything five times in the face! Yeah,
0: and they're throwing you health and ammo, and it's just like, even the game is just like, just get it done, dude. You yeah. Know? Just do it. We're gonna give you everything you need to do it. Just do it. And you're like, whatever. This sucks. Just super not interesting. We compare that to the Metal Solid 1 boss fights. Um, right. Ocelot. Ocelot bounces bolts off
1: walls. You can see his bolt chamber.
0: I love what was that quote he has. He he loves the feel of a a long a, silver bullet in a well greased chamber. Exactly. Oh yeah. He it's not my alarm clock when <laughs> I wake up in the morning. Oh, <sighs> gets me greased just thinking about it. Yeah. But that one's fun, especially because you're you're fighting. It's a comical arena. You're fighting around a man taped to a bunch of C4 in the middle. of and the He's the like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> the whole time. <laughs> and if you if you run into to that area, everybody explodes. And if you shoot any of the C4, everybody explodes. And you gotta... Like, that's so funny to just chase Ocelot yeah. around this little room. Yeah, it, it immediately shows you the difference between Megasolid 1 and
1: Megasolid 2 boss fights. Megasolid 2 boss fights, one, all have the worst song ever. it's like... Prom, 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 prom. Like, I, I, I know I'm, I can't make music with my mouth, but that is what the fuck it sounds like it yeah, just sounds I mean, like noise like sci-fi noises exactly with the power of editing, you've already heard yeah yeah um whereas one you just immediately have this like cinematic set piece in the middle of a tutorial boss fight and so you're just doing narrative in the middle of the boss fight on top of the mechanics you're already doing in a game that's clearly less mechanically engaged than two because one's a ps1 one's a ps2 it's a huge difference yep Um, so that's that fight. Uh, throwing grenades into the top of a tanker. Not a big fan of that one. It's not a tanker, it's a tank. Tanker, sorry. I just got used to saying tanker a lot. Uh, yeah, it's, um, it's not great. It's trying to teach you about a mechanic that you don't need. Yeah, you won't ever use. Um. Next is
0: Gray Fox. Gray Fox. Uh, you know I'm not a huge fan of that fight. Uh, It is
1: a little, like, a lot of the fights in one are a little long.
0: Yeah, a lot of the fights, especially after, like, Gray Fox and beyond, run too long. They have too much health, and the mechanics are too simple to, like, hold your attention. Yeah. I mean, Grey Fox at least switches what he's doing a lot. Yeah. But, essentially, it's it's just, you know, step aside when he kicks, and then punch him. And that's it. You just do that yeah. the entire time. And it's so long, and it's actually kind of difficult to execute, that it can be frustrating, because you'll lose a lot, you know? Yeah. Um,
1: I, I do like, again, it, it has somewhat of a story. to Like, the fight feels like it's part of the story, which I like. Yeah. Like... I saw what I said that about, but you know, throwing grenades into a tank, it does not feel
0: a part of the story. It feels no. very much just a boss fight that's there. Um, I want to like the Gray Fox fight, but yeah, when I actually fair. have to play it, I'm like, I really yeah, don't
1: Yeah, the, there's definitely more gameplay elements that could be due to do it, but I like the way it fits the story. Uh, the most famous
0: fight that we really didn't talk about, with everyone talked about this game, Psycho Mantis. Yes. Psycho Mantis, obviously, is just super good. And not just because of the, the things people talk about. So, the intro stuff. Yeah. yeah, Psycho Manus, you know, he, yeah, he does intro stuff. He's like, he'll like vibrate your controller and he's like, he's like, put your controller on the table. I'll move it with my mind. And then he activates the rumble pack and the controller moves across the table. It's so funny, right? Uh, when you're fighting it, you have to, you have to physically change the port of the controller that you're using from, uh, port one to port two so that he can't read your button inputs and dodge all your bullets anymore. And like that's that's fun and interesting. Obviously, he's a really cool boss mechanically. But beyond that, he's actually fun to fight. Uh he just picks up items in the room and throws them around with telekinesis. Uh, and he has different patterns, and you have to memorize the patterns and uh dodge properly while getting shots off at the same time. And it's just it's actually mechanically demanding and fun to do. Yeah, and it feels yeah, it's exactly.
1: Um, the other thing I'd say about uh Psychromantis, though, is, I actually like him less over time because the gimmicky part of the fight gets annoyinger the yeah. more I've played the game and the gimmick isn't interesting anymore. Yeah, you can't skip those bits. Yeah, because not, not only is he doing, you know, this, you, you know, this, like, uh, meta game joke stuff, I, I don't, like every time I fight him having to get off my couch and plug the controller to port 1 to port 2. That might sound like the laziest piece of shit thing you've <laughs> ever heard. But, like, you do that, you get up, go to the couch, the fight starts, and you get ready. And then the screen says, Hideo 1, on a, a parody of yeah, video, one, video 1. And the screen's all black. And you just, like, just wait. Yeah. You know? And it's just like, I don't know, like, it's just it's just uh, going through games. One of the things I really like is, if you skip the cutscenes and you're doing the gameplay you're not dealing with, like, a really long,
0: like, boss waking up animation. Yeah.
1: You know, or stuff like that. Yeah.
0: But conceptually, looking back, that fight gets, like, more interesting over time, I think, as we move further and further away from the, uh, the hardware that made that possible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Because, like, this is the era when controllers had cords that had to be plugged in, you know? He reads your mind by reading your memory card, and he's like, you uh- like to play Crash Bandicoot, you know? And uh, yeah, he makes your controller move by a rumble pack. And uh it's it's funny in the in the remake of it, right? They I think they only use Konami games. Uh maybe so. But like in the remake of, of one, the controllers don't have rumble packs anymore, and he's like, What? No rumble packs. No, no, it's Microsoft Four. Is it four? Yeah, yeah. yeah it's the, in, the, four, the, the four. Rumble pack in the GameCube controller. Yeah, yeah. But it's interesting to see like those things have been completely phased out by this point. Mm-hmm. You know? Uh so like that fight could not happen anymore. And that's conceptually interesting to look at.
1: Yeah, uh that this game also has the when you're fighting the helicopter, someone calls you and says, um st- basically switch from stereo to mono. Yeah. Um speaking of which, how does that fight?
0: The helicopter? Yeah, yeah. I don't remember it. What's the helicopter? Hind D. The Hind D? Is that a helicopter? Yeah, it is a helicopter. I always think of it as as a as a plane, but yeah, it is a helicopter. Oh, uh, that fight! I really—it's
1: so easy to recognize the difference
0: between helicopters and planes. I know, but I think two has poisoned my mind. Oh, um, he's <laughs> like I'm colorblind. That fight, I don't—I don't really like. It yeah, it's another
1: long one. It's um, way yeah.
0: too long.
1: Again, I—I I give it. The, it has a thing that two doesn't have, where it's a sto- The fight is storytelling in itself.
0: Yeah, but like the story's told pretty quickly. It's liquid's pretty mad at you, and he wants to kill you with a helicopter. Yeah, and. It's literally just stand behind the the big piece of cover and shoot it for, like, ten minutes. Yeah. It, it's just that Die Hard vibes where you're, like, on the top of a building in the snow. Yeah. And you're, you know... But Die Hard and... is a movie with pacing. And yeah. And that fight is not well-paced. Yeah, um... Like, my biggest complaint is it's it's way too long. But there's nothing to the fight to engage you for that time, so it's worse. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, Sniper Wolf, both of them. They're the same fight. Who cares? Uh, the first one. I just, just put I, them together. They're no different. Well, they are a little different. The first one I don't I don't like nearly as much because you're shooting just down a long hallway. Yeah, and it's way easier for her to snipe snipe you than it is for you to snipe her. uh and that's yeah, your positioning kind of matters a little bit more. Yeah, and this snow. is also like your first time using a sniper rifle, so it feels pretty overly difficult. But then when you get into the snow snowfield, you, your options open up a lot, and you get to choose where you want to sit and. Uh, you can see her more easily, and I think it's an easier and more engaging fight overall. Don't really like sniping in that game so much, and especially sniper wolf is like super easy because you just kind of track her. Like once you shoot her once, you kind of have her. Yeah. Done. I,
1: again, I, I kind of like the storytelling elements of it. Use diazepam like she does to steady yeah. your nerves. You can see her breath, you know, in the cold when she's behind something, but you yeah. can't see her to see which area she might come out at. It's pretty simple stuff, but it feels like it creates a tension in you that the game is trying to do. Sometimes you're putting your gun at her and the red dot is over your eyes and you just kind of only see red. Yeah. And like that's cool. It's yeah. just small, but it's cool and I like that. Not not a great engaging fight mechanically, but there's there's interesting to engage in fights. From kind of a uh, intellectual, like, what it's doing for the storytelling stuff,
0: you know? Yeah. It's also God, a fight. I not play Dark Souls so bad. It's, a, it's also a fight the game's not really designed for, because it is a first-person shooting uh, mm-hmm. aspect. And it's like, well, the game just isn't made for that. Yeah. You know? Uh Vulcan. Raven. Obviously, Vulcan Raven is incredible. Love that fight. It's the most engaging fight. You get to use all your explosive shit. Yeah.
1: Unlike two, you get a bunch of shit and you get to use it actually. So you got to go around with claymores and Nikitas and stingers in a fight against a guy holding a airplane Gatling gun.
0: Yeah. That's fucking dope. Yeah. It's just, it's just one big square room and it's got a bunch of dividing containers all throughout it. So it's a game of like cat and mouse. You stay away from him while he hunts you through the room. Uh, and you, you know, shoot missiles or leave claymores or something. And the missiles, like, you can track them with your with your minimap, but the Nikita missile, when you're, it's a missile that you control its direction. Mm-hmm. But it, the minimap doesn't move with the missile. So, once you once you fire and the missile starts moving, you just have to kind of know where you're going. You know, because you can't use your minimap like you do when you normally run around.
1: Yeah. And uh, lastly, uh, the three liquid
0: fights. You got Rex Ugh. fighting on the roof. I don't know if you want to cut the car chase. I, we should. All right. So Rex is a challenging fight that I tend to lose a lot at, and I don't like it for that reason, but it's not a terribly designed fight. Yeah. It, it, it kind of
1: has the whole thing where it's like each thing he uses requires you to go to a different zone, like close, yeah. medium, far away, far away. Yeah. And so you respond to that by going, figuring out where to be. And then it's just kind of firing stingers at him, but it, it feels frantic in a way that like the other stinger missile fights don't feel that way. Yeah. We've, we've, there's four stinger missile fights, like two against airplanes. You just shoot things out of the sky. Yeah. And then we just did the ray fight, which is like so much worse than that Rex fight. Yeah. That ray fight is garbage. Yeah. And it doesn't have the same thing where you're kind of like disengaging. It's just fucking with boring. The, yeah. And you just like, even if there is like a go close for this and don't go close for this, you're kind of like okay, just taking a lot of the damage. Yeah, and a lot of the stuff that the rays do don't really hit you a lot because um, they can't because there's three of them. They can't make it that hard. Exactly. So they have to make everything kind of be bad at hitting you, and it's just it's just it's just blazing bad. Yeah,
0: and- uh, yeah. The the Rex fight, I think it is pretty hard to understand. Like the game isn't really designed for combat, and that fight requires a lot of combat. Yeah. And I think for those reasons, like mechanically it doesn't work super well, and I it frustrates me because I have a hard time executing the plan that I have. Yeah. You know? I mean, yeah, that's fair. Um and then the That's the, PS1 for you though. Yeah. It, Metal Assault 2 has less of an excuse than that. <laughs> yeah, I will say that. Pretty much none. Um then there's the uh the fist fight on top of Rex. And that's pretty fun, I think. It's just—I mean it's just a straight up fist fight with Uh, With Liquid, but Liquid has some bullshit But I found Yeah, he's the bull rush Get his shoulders down right at you, and you're like, I just take damage He has the bull rush, but also it's like, sometimes You're like, oh, that, uh, my attack missed And he hit me for it, and stuff like that You don't, you can't recover health or anything So it's like, all your mistakes count against you But I found, even though I lost that fight a bunch, I found the more times I did it, the more I understood the Signals that they were sending me, and it's actually a fairly Well designed fight you just yeah. probably have to do it more than a few times. Yeah,
1: and, and, that, and I think that's impressive for
0: a clearly really undeveloped hand-to-hand combat system. Yeah. I, I had to find out... I, I wasn't immediately aware of the mistakes I was making. But as I played it more, I, I was like... Okay, if he makes this move uh, when I approach, I know not to attack. Because yeah. he'll dodge and hit me. I know I have to put my body like, like right up close to him. Because if I'm too far away, I'll go, I'll go punch-punch-kick... But my punches will knock him too far away, my kick will miss, and he'll hit me. That kind of thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and always just look out for bullshit rush. And,
1: and, and that's interesting, too, because like that's all you have is you have a punch button, and it goes punch, punch, kick. That If you stop pressing it over and over again, it
0: restarts in the beginning. Yeah. And that's it. That's all the mechanics you have of control over your moveset. Yeah. So it's interesting they made, actually, a somewhat mechanically diverse fight for it. And then finally, uh, you know, you're chasing. Yeah, that sucks. It's it's that's it, we're done. (laughs) You it's a turret section and you can't refill your health, and it's incredibly hard to aim the turret. Like you just don't really see where you're aiming. Yeah, you just can't tell, and you've just gotta you've gotta kill a bunch of dudes and, and people are shooting at you constantly. There's just nothing you can do about it. So you just kinda win if you're lucky enough to win. Yeah. On the back of all that, this isn't a boss fight, but there's a room of Tons and tons of stairs. You just have to run upstairs for like five minutes. And dudes are chasing you and shooting you. And dudes are in front of you sometimes and shooting you. And you have an assault rifle and a will to move forward. Yeah. Nothing else. I made you play that room. I I don't mind that room. I hate it. It's so bad because it adds nothing in my opinion. This game is not about combat, so making me run up a, a seemingly infinite flight of stairs just filled with dudes with a bad combat engine? That sucks. I just don't like it. At all. As someone who did all the VR
1: missions uh, for her, Metal Gear Solid 1, I actually kind of enjoy engaging with the combat. It's really simple. It knows what it's trying to do, even though it's simple, and it doesn't. And I like that about the combat. Is li- what it's trying to do run and gun? Yeah. Uh really? it's yeah, it's the the auto aims. So in throughout the whole uh early part of the series, 1 2 and 3, it will auto aim in your third person mode. Yeah. And they want you to use that more than they want you to use first person. They want you to be able to move and shoot when you're shooting and they want first person to be kind of a an element of stealth. And it is just like it is enjoyable enough to just kind of, I don't need to aim my gun. That's not why I'm doing it, is I just need to know to use the right gun in the right scenario when things are in front of me, you know? And most of the time, if a bunch of things are in front of you, you already lost. You're playing Metal Gear, yeah. right? It's just going to surround you and kill you, right? But when, you know, three people come in and you just kind of run your famus back and forth, your machine gun, basically... Just do an arc across in front of you and it just wipes out people in- instantly. I don't know. Like it just, I think it works with the story and the narrative and it's not not fun to do. Like when you're going through those stairs, you just end up with a body count at the end of it. I mean, yeah. Right? And but- it feels like that. Like you just run up and you're just machine gunning people down. Really seamlessly, like you're not use. It's one of the few times in the game you're not using a socom, and I I don't mean just Metal Gear Solid One. For most, all three, one,
0: two, and three Metal Gear Solid, just use a handgun the whole time. I just don't find it seamless because the problem is it's really hard to like just turn around, and there's no defense against just getting shot except shoot first. That yeah. game is not designed to do those stairs. So there's people off screen in front of you. There's people in the dark. There's people behind you, and you have to deal with all of them with a limited health supply, and it's possible you just, you sort of can't do it, you know? Like, it's more than likely you do those stairs more you, than once.
1: Yeah, but you definitely get, uh, like, the other, I, I think a good way of saying if a mechanic actually is working is if you get better at it every time. And you certainly get better at the stairs every time.
0: Yeah, but that's kind of just... Mm-hmm memorizing placement stuff. Uh, the mechanic doesn't improve. Like you don't get better at shooting, you just get better at yeah, knowing where the guards are. I disagree. You definitely do. I've done it. I didn't. Uh, you did not do it this time in recent. But I have done it. Like yeah. I know I know what it I know what it does and I know how the mechanic works. But
1: you definitely get better at shooting is the way you play the game. Like that's just I think that's that, that's pretty provable. <laughs> There's little things like when you pull out your gun And you see where it aims. You know that because you moved, it aimed at the thing that you wanted to do. And then as you get better, you realize how long you need to hold the button for shooting to know it's lethal. Right? And you tend to just get better at it. Right? You tend to become slightly quicker with your motions. Right? Where even though you're turning around, you see when the auto-aim starts to happen, because your character shifts their shoulders in an unnatural way. And then you squeeze it for just enough to get enough bullets to kill, and then you quickly turn around to go back the other way. And those little bits of timing make you feel more efficient and make the whole thing easier. And there's lots of little, like, parts of the game that are just kind of like, okay, just kind of aim in front of you and shoot for a bit, that it feels like you understand exactly the number of bullets and what you need to do to just take something down. And, like, there's an appeal to that in the, fi- in, in, the, in the narrative of the game that I think, like, resonates a little bit better than just, oh, well, I learned how to headshot really good, right? Well, yeah. Th- that just feels like when you learned to headshot really good, you're learning it as a player and not as, like,
0: Snake and understanding exactly how many bullets it takes to kill a person.
1: You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. I'm not saying you can't get better at shooting, period. Mm-hmm. Right, because you're right. There, there's little, there's little, there's little tips and tells uh, in in shooting. What I'm saying is like that style of run and gun is only there. Like the the things you learn there aren't really transferable yeah. outside of that room, which makes it maybe a thing you could get better at, but sort of pointless. Well,
1: th- that's kind of a Kojima thing as a whole. Like you'll have a you'll have a game where he has a base thing that he explores a lot, but in every game he kind of has these sections that are like. You're only doing this skill here. Like I was talking about that earlier with Metal Gear Solid 2, with like the Suntex and the looking for bomb section stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? This is a sort of puzzle that is not going to be at B throughout the rest of the game. Even dumb shit like uh we have an infinite ammo section in Metal Gear Solid 3. That's not really what you've been doing up until the point of this game, right? Yeah. But it works because it's fun to
0: Shoot a bunch of things. It might not
1: also work. Who's who's to say? Um, it works better in that game. Yeah, it works better in that game. And like maybe that, that like yeah, it's that's like, kind of an interesting comparison because Metal Gear Solid One does the same thing, except for you're on the turret of a truck. I was gonna say, but it's a, it's it's an unfamiliar gun. It, yeah, it's different. Like when you're in the in the car in Metal Gear Solid Three, aiming around with guns that you've already used, you feel a little bit more control over the character because you have some
0: experience with it. Yeah. Um, versus a turret you've never used before, and I mean, just graphically, you can see what you're doing better. You know, yeah, that, that's in, a big thing. Is just PS One, yeah. In one, you don't see your bullets or anything, so like the turret is, you can only see where the bullets are landing, and only kinda because you're moving. So it's like where your bullets are landing is not telling you where you're shooting. It's it's a mess. But, like, th- that same thing happens in two in the tanker, but it's different,
1: right? Is in tanker, you have a section where it's just a big long hallway where people come at you. Yeah. And it's just like, here's a, here's a murder practice. And it's not, you don't really ever do that again. Because no. like, right in, you're never just like, like, the one time you have to kill a bunch of people, they, you don't have to, but they just gave you a sword. Yeah, they give you a sword, you know, and you want to use it because, Little dude, you might not know. They're never gonna let you, like, that's the end of the game. Yeah. Use a sword now or don't or enjoy a sword. Do not. But yeah, I don't know. It's, 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 it's somewhat interesting The kind of in these spy games to always have a section where they're like, now you have to murder people. Yeah. You know? And in Metagross Salt, it works a little bit better in Metagross 2, even though I think most of the thematic stuff doesn't work better. But, it, uh, one of the things they do in 2 is they make killing look more graphic. Right? Yeah. Because they can Yeah. Right? So, like, you'll shoot someone in first-person mode, and you see blood fly on your camera. Or you sneak up right behind them, and you shoot it, and you just see, like, a spurt of blood come out the front of their face. Yeah. And it it just makes you think more about the fact that you're sneaking up behind people and blowing their fucking brains out. So, I don't know. I mean, I think
0: that's kind of an interesting storytelling element, too. Yeah, it really is interesting. But I, I don't think they, they're they really, like, making a statement with it, but it is interesting if you want to read more into it, you know?
1: Yeah. I, I would like to think so, because the way Kojima has been making games up until this point... Yeah, it's just kind of always, possible. You
0: know, always focusing on how being a soldier is, you know, kind of bad. So Sometimes with Kojima, it's hard to know what's intended and what you're reading into, because usually what's intended, he is so explicit and open about mm-hmm. you know? Um... But, like, there's plenty of stuff he doesn't tell you about. He's just, he just makes hyper complicated games. And, and the thing he does a lot, too, right? Is
1: he has stuff that he thinks is genuinely interesting and believes. And there's stuff that he's like, this is funny. I, I like funny things. Yeah, that's the other thing. Right? And so sometimes, like, someone comically dying can be done in a funny way, you know? And he gets that. Even if he's not pro violence, there's a way to have a death yeah, that speaks to, you know, the humor. The humor... The humorous... Okay, cut this. <laughs> there's a way to kill
0: people that speaks to the humor in the situation. Another thing in one is you do get captured at some point, And you get strapped to a torture chair in which you have to mash the triangle button while they torture you to not die. That is hard to do. It is not hard for everyone. It's something, at, at least on a normal difficulty, I can handle just fine. But there's a lot of people... That aren't going to be able to do that, and I always wonder about the value of that kind of thing because it comes back again in four. Like you're, you have a snake crawling through a, a tunnel full of microwaves that are like cooking him, and you have to constantly tap triangle to make him move forward as he like as he just dies in this microwave tunnel, uh, and it hurts you because you got to do it a lot and your arm starts to hurt while you do it. And it's interesting because, like, that's one way of engaging the player physically with the game that they're playing. It's
1: literally so insane that that's actually the best scene part of gameplay of all Oh, games I know.
0: So I know. I think it's literally the best gameplay in the whole game. It, it probably is. is. But it's also, I mean, th- this was 2001 and people weren't talking, people weren't really thinking about these kind of things. But, like, it's also, you know, a really ableist way to make a yeah. video game. So there's, like, I, w- I-, I just sort of passively wonder how many people tried to play Metal Solid 1 and had to stop there. I don't know if that number's high or not, but, like, it's gotta be somebody at least, right? Yeah, and it gets gets worse
1: in later games. It's interesting, too, because they literally say, and don't try to use a turbo controller, and I think they block it.
0: Yeah. I'm not... not I'm almost certain that if you use a turbo, it just kills you or something. Yeah. So, like, which those sorts of things exist to help people. Yeah. You can't do those. They're sorts not. Of things. They're not just cheat devices. They're enabling people to play games.
1: Yeah. It's like this goes into certain things about like should we have, all games have button remapping and crap like
0: that. Yeah. Yes, but yeah. <laughs> Beyond that, yeah. I just I just kind of wanted to put it out passively, like the things that because if you play that game on like a super hard mode. Most most people won't be able to hit hit the triangles enough to live. But there's, there's probably not a small section of people that can't do it in the first place. And that's something to think about, even if you think that uh, section is good. Like, I like the fact that it does connect you to physically playing the game. But at the same time, I don't like the fact that that will be difficult for some players.
1: Uh, I'm extra bitter about this because I'm... Look, I'm not a
0: fast button presser. I've never been a fast button presser.
1: The one the one pressing buttons faster than one is still a joke to me. Like, I, even though I'm not fast pressing buttons, I can do it easily. Yeah. I tried a long time ago to beat the hardest difficulty, European Extreme in two. And there's a part where Solidus chokes you. It literally takes this long. Okay, so Solidus is choking us. That's the sound of someone pressing a button.
0: <laughs> it's incredible. I cannot believe this. Is, this is phenomenal. Yeah, this
1: is the this is the YouTuber watching right now. I've not I've not seen this YouTube. This guy he switched the finger he's used to tap multiple times already.
0: He's switching arms because his arms are getting tired. Yeah. Oh, it's getting lower. It's getting lower. Oh, your auctions just running out. how How is how is your hand doing? <laughs> he's still choking you. I, I literally can't believe it lasts this long. Yeah, check your check your timestamps on the on the cast right now. Oh, guy's losing health. Losing health. Losing health. Oh god, he's struggling. Oh, you can you can hear the tap slowing down. No, it's Oh health- my god, he's so low!
1: Go, man, go! No! It no. literally went away! Oh my god.
0: Wow, he has no health bar left.
1: That was incredible. That was literally the fastest I've ever seen someone tap. And it went down to the wire.
0: Yeah, so that's literally like one... <laughs> yeah, so that's literally like a full minute or more. Of just tapping a button. Yeah. And I had to stop my
1: European extre- extreme run because of it. You know what happens after you beat that tapping? The final boss. Yeah. I literally stopped the hard stuff with the final boss. Because I couldn't press triangle fast enough. And that just happens it- like mid cutscene. scene. Like- and I-, I was going online being like, do you have any tips for dealing with it? And the thing I kept seeing was... Try a spoon. What the fuck does that mean? <laughs> like, I literally found, like, videos of people, like, if you rock the spoon back and forth, you can do it.
0: And it's just like, this is so fucking stupid. Yeah. Right? Like, this is not good design, I you know? cannot. I cannot imagine. It's so frustrating because the entire game is done. And there's, like, ostensibly harder things to do in the game than tapping a button. You know? Yeah. There's, like, all the boss fights are hard. Just getting through the game is hard. And you get to the very end, and because... In the middle of a cutscene, he just chokes you for, like, a full minute. Yeah. And it has no bearing on the story or anything. It's not even significant that he does it. He just does it casually for
1: no reason. and, like, even if you're really good and you could, like, if you just have fucking poundy hands and you couldn't beat it, if you were playing that uh, on your run, you'd be like, oh, yeah, I have to spend a minute being bored.
0: Yeah. Right? Like, no one feels good about that. It's not... It's not engaging gameplay. Yeah, it's it's absolute garbage and should not
1: exist. So one thing I'm kind of shocked that, a, like, whatever hour into the cast we haven't um, really thought too much about. Everything to do with Raiden. <laughs> He's a character in 2. Is he He's the main character in 2. Arguably. Nope. I mean, he is the main character. <laughs> yeah. But Seems arguably... It's pretty easy to find out the main character in a video game. Uh, it's the <laughs> one you control the, the most one. in general. <laughs> Yeah, I mean right and ugh. So like it's a couple of things. Like there's kind of a lot of like what comes to soon be effeminate jokes that lead into a lot of gay jokes in and outside of the game. Yeah. You know, things around the game. Which isn't super great. Uh but it like pissed off a lot of people because they wanted it to be snake, but then it's just this kind of joke character, right? Yeah. But like he's also like he's like straight up annoying on purpose. But, like, that doesn't mean it's good to make him annoying just because it was on purpose, you know? Like, one of the first scenes is, like, you know, writing. You will log into the, no- the node, and then you'll get a map you can look at. And he's like, did you say nerd? Did you say nerd? No- like, what the fuck are you no? No idea. What was that? That was weird. You know? And, like, early, I get it. He's supposed to be a proxy for the player, right? And it's supposed to be kind of about when you start a game, you think you're tough shit, but you haven't played this game yet. You have to learn this world. Learn how, to be, how an actual the actual game, how to be good. And writing the whole time is like, I played VR Mission 63, VR Mission 154, yeah. that simulate real life experiences. So I know
0: that I can do this and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, it's really you Kojima know? poking fun at, at at the gamers in general. Yeah. You know? It's like, oh, you've only played simulations of combat. You don't know what real combat is.
1: Yeah, and it's just like, but th- there's like a question to me ask is like, what is the value of this story when so much of what the character does is either, one, be, like, pretty offensive, you know yeah. what I mean, in a lot of ways, uh, but two, just be actively annoying. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, in, in not a super fun way. Like, I like a lot of annoying characters in games because they can be funny. Like, I like Rose, the, the girlfriend, talking to Ryden, because it's so funny in the middle of a nuclear defense mission to be like do you not know it's our anniversary
0: tomorrow and him not picking up on it yeah like you're you're trying to save the president and she's like raiden remember that time i went into your room and you just didn't have like any posters on the wall (laughs) you just it's like you didn't even live there and ryan's like i am busy (laughs) yeah it's incredibly funny to to have Rose along for the ride because Ryden is just he's so awkward to begin with and to put to put a girlfriend in there just makes it 10 times more yeah. awkward. And, and and this this character feels like this whole sort of weird enigma
1: but then at the end of the game they're just kind of like actually you were a child soldier
0: and he's like I just remembered all of it. <laughs> it really does do that. <laughs> yeah. He's like oh yeah I was that. And it's like you didn't there was no uh, memory loss yeah. moment. There was no amnesia. We he just ca- yeah. forgot. We used I to guess. call you Jack the Ripper and put gunpowder in your food. God, they really do just start calling him Jack the Ripper at the end.
1: Yeah. His girlfriend's crying.
0: And yeah. He's just like. He's like, I saw
1: atrocities. And she's like, oh god, please stop. I'm so sad, but also, shortly, will be revealed to not maybe being real.
0: Yeah. It's still unclear. It's super unclear. Here's the thing: she calls him, or sorry, the colonel calls, and he's like, "Ryden, right, turn the game off right now." This is when he's he's uh, malfunctioning because he's a robot. And Rose pops in on the same codec And is like, you'll hurt your eyes Sitting so close to the TV And then a few minutes later Rose calls and is like "Ryden, I have to tell you I was a spy this whole time And our relationship was fake And Ryan's like, what? Why are you doing this? And it's like, you know she's a robot, right? Like, you figured that out earlier When they were both doing the robot stuff <laughs> But like Apparently that stuff. She also at the at the very end of the call, she's like she's like, "There's a bird," you know, as like a robot voice shuts down, and she says, "I'm pregnant." But that turns out to be true. But even after that, she does call again. Like her and Colonel trade off uh, talking talking shop with uh, Raiden later, just openly as the Patriot GW, and yeah. then. Rose shows up in human form after everything, and she is pregnant. It is impossible to tell what Rose was real and what Rose wasn't, and if Ryden has been fucking a robot this whole time.
1: Yeah, no, I'm still confused about that.
0: I'm. This is
1: exactly the fucking... I know I reference this a lot to you outside the cast, but I think everyone needs to think about it. There's a Doctor Who episode with Matt Smith. Yeah. And the Rory, I want to say... <laughs> is is dating Karen Gillian's character, and he's a part of the show, and he turns into a plastic Roman centurion to guard a box. As you do. And then, like, they solve the plot through straight-up nonsense. And then for the rest of the show, you're like, are you a plastic soldier still? Yeah. Like, what is going on with Rory? You know what I mean? And then I read online one day on Wikipedia, it's like, no, they restarted the Big Bang, and he got rebooted. And you're like, well, that's the dumbest fucking thing <laughs> yeah. I've ever heard. I'm so glad you're done running that show, Stephen Moffin. Fuck you. But uh
0: Yeah, Russell T. Davis is coming back. Yeah. I'm I'm excited to like my favorite show again. Yeah.
1: But it's exactly how I feel about uh, Rose. I'm like, are you still a robot? Are you made of plastic? Yeah. Like, what are the rules? Don't worry, she'll never come back. She is your main codec person in Microsoft for 4. No.
4: God, I
0: don't want to play 4 again. Yeah, I played that game once, and I think I blacked out most of it from my memory. But I remember that microwave tunnel real real well. Yeah, it's the best part of the game. Apparently.
1: It's also, like, the only gameplay in that section of the last chapter. Yeah. It's like microwave tunnel. Uh, so actually, like, it's three rooms. It's uh, run through a bunch of enemies, stupid hard compared to everything else. The I game. remember the boat. Microwave yeah. tunnel, easy as shit. But the And then uh final boss fight, which is punching us a lot. Second best boss fight in the series.
0: Yeah. And with that, I think we've kind of wrapped up uh Melior Solids one and two for everything we're gonna say on this podcast. Uh that can't stress us enough. For the love of God, can I just go back to playing Dark Souls? <laughs> Thanks everybody for listening. Um li- listen to us, listen to our other podcasts. Uh our other episodes, not our other like we don't have other podcasts. Um Yet, uh, listen to the garages and uh, play Metal Gear Solid's one and two because for whatever problems they have, they're both really good and should be thought about next just month. Play one, I mean, yeah, just play, If you got to pick one, just play one. Yeah,
1: just play one and three. Uh, and then if you want more, keep going.
0: Uh, next month, we are we are going to do uh, something a little different. We are not going to be playing a game specifically. We're going to be talking about a particular problem in in gaming, a philosophical problem in many ways in which we live kind of in a in an era of what i call release now and update later mentality for creating games and, but we want to talk about in general what is the value of updating games as a whole and what is it what does it mean to like change a work of art as uh, after it's been released into the world so uh, look forward to that i think we're going to have a lot of fun with it we're going to talk about a bunch of different games it's going to be very fun so thanks for listening
1: when you got God fire emblem game you had to wait 20 years for them to not fix those problems
0: (laughs) still your day huh (laughs) or you know it's just a dragon quest and there's no problems from the beginning (laughs) exactly the way you should do it (laughs) all right once again thanks for listening
1: (laughs) wait one one more one more uh or finally there's the dark souls all the problems that exist, we've all gotten Stockholm Syndrome and <laughs> have just hey. agreed that they were always meant to be that it's way. It's not a
0: problem, it's a feature, right? Yeah. There's that, that, little, that little square uh, in Blighttown that is a death plane that you can just walk onto. That's just Blighttown. <laughs> it just sucks there and you accept it like a yeah. man. Keep the framerate. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag keep the framerate. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: Oh, fuck. Bye.
1: The Snyder Cut. <laughs>